So, uh, so what are we going to do today? Gonna do some chatting, some catching up, some what's on your bench talk, some shit like that. (laughs) (laughs) And there it is. Friends, the show you're about to hear may contain coarse language, progressive attitudes about scale modeling, and in-depth discussion of technique and concept. If this is not your thing, then on your bike. Otherwise, please enjoy today's show while at the bench, on the drive to work, or while enjoying an adult beverage. All right, here we go. Welcome aboard, Sprue Cutters. I am here with my two punk rocking compadres, Mr. Tracy Hancock. Piss off. <laughs> See what I mean? And Mr. Chris Meddings. Well, I'm not an animal. <laughs> <laughs> and we are clearly back at it again with another episode of the Sprue Cutters Union podcast. We've got some good shit for you today, I think. Uh, later on, we're going to be joined by... One of the best modelers nobody ever heard of, Mr. Gabe Pincelli. You guys have heard me talk about him. Uh, it's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about model making and flying Navy jets and all kinds of Not other stuff. Not at the same time, though. Not at the same time. Building models while flying Navy jets is generally frowned on. So I think, yeah. But that's going to be good fun. Um, in the meantime, of course... We are going to carry on with our usual bit of nonsense, and we'll start with catching up uh, with what kind of stupid shit we've got going on at our workbenches. So, Meddings, you first. This week, I have been mostly destroying Russian armor, and it's been great fun. I'm doing a big (laughs) diorama, which has a new title, which is, uh, I'm going to murder this, apologies, all of Ukraine. Slava Haroyim, which means glory to the heroes, and it's it's yeah, it's all going to be destroyed Russian armor. And I've done, I've started with a BMP two, and the revelation on this one, I should I had it half built already, which is why I've done it so quick. I had a few Russian projects that were half built, and I thought right, I, I can I can work on them, but I scratch built um, a lot of the damaged interior because obviously uh, one of the biggest problems when people do damaged armor is they just take what's already in the kit and rust it, including like all the cushions and stuff on the seats and all that sort of thing. <laughs> it's like, I ain't doing that shit. So I made some seats without cushions and I destroyed the turret basket because the turret's blown off and stuff like that. Uh, but the revelation, which I'm coming back to now, I've had a life color rust effect set for God knows how long. And I've never really used it, liquid pigments. And I gave it a try on this and oh my God, it's amazing. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, well, you're, you're catching up with the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah I was a bit sceptical because I thought it was like paint. But once you put it on, it fades and blends itself out really well. In fact, you have to put quite a lot on for a strong effect. But you can do it in layers, which is great because usually my problem is I put too much of something on. And when it dries, I'm like, oh, that's too strong an effect. I don't like that. But with this, you have to sort of build it up. And because of that, you can get exactly the level of effect that you want. Is it water-based? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's an acrylic, it is, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's water-based acrylic. This is Rinaldi's favorite rust. This, this is everybody's favorite rust. I don't yeah, know you've mentioned it on the show before, it. Tracy, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mart, Martin loves it. Um, 
although I think he's gone to using uh, enamels for his rust mm. to, for a lot of his rust tones. But yeah, it seems to get a lot of praise. So. Well, he's using enamels in a different way right. than than you would use this. But I mean, you could just throw out names of modelers all day long, especially armor modelers, and they all use it. I mean, if there's such a thing as an industry standard for something in in the modeling world. The life color rust set is kind of the industry standard mm-hmm. for rust. Seems to be. Do you put a gray base down underneath that and then sort of glaze it? Nope. Is that how it works? No, nope. you, just... you can do it. Cover it, it. The coverage is quite good. Yeah, I mean that was primed black before I put that on top of it, and the oranges and the yellows yeah. pop out no problem. So yeah, there's just... a lot of pigment in there. Okay, so, so you, you just, can you just paint it and, and just slap that shit on. Nice. Yeah, but you can also send it out and use it as, as like glaze layers to, to blend yeah. things together. I've been doing that. Because if you use, they've got, I think it's five colors, four, five colors. Mm. And the, you know, they range from a, a dark, dark rusty color, dark brown to a, a quite a vivid orange. There's actually a yellow in the set. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. a, oh, it's, it's a, it's a really fresh rust, like real, you know. Yeah. Pop. So you can you can lay those things down, and if they are too different, you know, if if you want mm. them to blend together a little bit, all you have to do is take, you know, maybe the darker uh, rust tone color, water it down, lay it down as a glaze. It's it's great, it's great stuff. I mean, I added some stuff at the end. Um, our good friend uh, Brian Denklau sent me some photos of stuff he's worked on, saying, "Well, you you know, what about getting some purple tones in it and stuff like that?" So. I gave that. A tr- I was a bit skeptical, I'll be honest, but I gave it a try, and he was right. But I mixed that from oil and put it on top of it, and it blended into it, soaked into it really nicely, and it was really yeah, effective. You really, you really worked the tones on that stuff. I mean, it looks, it looks great. And you know, yeah, I can totally agree with you about the interior of burnt out stuff because I did a burnt out thing a couple of years ago, and it was just one thing, just a car Mini Cooper, mm. part of a little diorama thing that I did, and. It, it was a rabbit hole. Like you start thinking about, oh, okay, well, the seat cushions are not going to be there anymore. They're burnt off. Oh, but wait, what's underneath the seat cushions? A bunch of springs and a bunch of sheet metal structures. And how am I going to scratch build that shit? And that's when I decided not to do the burnt out interior. <laughs> I spent, I'm not kidding, three hours today scraping on the, I'm doing a Gaz Tiger. That's the next um, vehicle in the diorama. And, on the floor of it, it's got that rubber, sticky, like, you know, molded on rubber stuff with the circle bumps on it, you know, anti-slip mm-hmm. that you see on a lot of stuff. Like Rhino Liner. Yeah, they probably just bought it from some, you know, AliExpress or something, because <laughs> it's pretty, like, <laughs> standard. It's not a special Russian one or anything like that. But, of course, whenever I looked, at, there's loads of photos out there of destroyed Russian armor now, and inside all of them, that's melted off. So I spent ages scraping those little fucking discs off the bottom. But I couldn't leave it because I couldn't have a fire in there. But miraculously, this one had been lined with asbestos flooring. You know, it's just, you can't, if you're going to do it, do it. Either do it or don't do it. You know, that's where, that's where one of those really stiff fiberglass brushes might have worked good because those things will eat that shit off of there in a big hurry. I used a scalpel. Um, a chisel tip Swan Morton scalpel, which are actually <laughs> invented for pedicures, but really good for that. They're really sharp and, you know, a nice flat chisel tip. And also, one of my favourite things is to get balsa, shape the end of it, and super glue sanding paper onto it to make special shaped sanding tools 
to finish it off after to you know to get rid of all the scrape marks and stuff like that and it was satisfying to do i enjoyed it it was fun (laughs) 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 it kind of was it was definitely yeah it's kind of fun and i'm really pleased with it now it's done so uh, you know the tricky bit was avoiding taking off the metal anti-slip strips in there as well Mm. because they wouldn't they're aluminium or something they wouldn't you know they wouldn't burn off so those tires look great too those uh the deaf model tires it's really hard to explain what's so good about them it's not only are they flat on the bottom but the whole wall of the tire looks deflated if you look at it it's one of those that's got like square cells on the on the wall of the outside and each one of them is individually sagged you know and it's just they are absolutely a work of art they they won't really show till i get some paint on them later it was quite hard to show it in the photos even with gray resin and obviously they're 3D designed because Kim at um, at uh, Def has gone over to 3D a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, he's so. been doing that for a while, and he's and he's just a really talented digital sculptor. I mean, you've seen some yeah. of his figures, right? He's got a really yeah. great eye for eye for um, cloth yeah. and for stuff like that. Yeah, he's superb at it. Is that it? Is that all you're doing, so, Mattings? Uh, let me just think. I'm pretty sure uh, reorganized the workshop this week, which is always good. And I, I, I got this set of drawers to put my tools and paints in. And I just, you know, you're a middle-aged modeler when you sit there with the drawers going, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Oh, I love being able to get that just there. Just, oh, I'm, I'm organized. Oh, yeah, I'm all orgasmized. It's just, you know, I don't know. It's so sad. But, yeah, I've been really, like, stroking it. Like, I love this. It's brilliant. I'm organized now. It is sad. Well, that's why those, those little paint rack, uh, you know, those laser-cut paint racks mm. sell so well. And you see, like, um, you know, people's pictures of people modeling benches where they have the, you know, essentially kind of a store displays worth of paint sitting up there. And you're like, ah, yeah, you know, that felt good to put the put the that thing together and then in like put the uh, the paints in either in the order that they go by the company uh, designation or like, yeah, you just throw them in there. Uh, Well, my my paints are in a drawer. My bench is is. The perimeter of my bench is all tools and styrene, styrene shapes and rod and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, my, my, my paints are in a, uh, drawers as well. Yeah. Have you guys done the trick with the right angle piece of metal or flashing or whatever that lets you have rows of them in your drawer so that you can, you know, lay them? Am I making sense at all? You guys are both looking at me like... Oh, you're talking about like... You? Even. Like a little spice rack kind of thing where you yeah. can lay them down at an angle like a mm-hmm. bottle of fine wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not so that they're, yeah, I mean, it's not so that they're properly positioned for storage. This Tammy is a beautiful it's just, vintage. It's it's just what's, it's just, it's, it's Ooh, efficient. that Vallejo's gone off. Because yeah. I, I do have a bit of a problem with all my Tamiya's, not not talking about paint specifically now, but all the Tamiya in the drawer, I, I, when I put them in, I line them all up. All, this is all the greys, this is all the blue, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And within five seconds, they're fucking mixed up. Cause well, just, and you're I always can't. only looking at the top, right? So you don't yeah, really and know. a lot of them from the top, if there's a bit of shade, it's quite mm-hmm. hard to tell the difference between black mm-hmm. and, say, yeah. Linoleum deck brown, you know, so yeah, that would help to be able to see the bottle and see the color. Well, the thing I'm talking about is a but is a St. Paul trick, of course. He talked about it in one of his videos. But if you take a piece of just imagine a piece of, of angled material like flashing, it's L shaped, and you put it on its on its back so that it looks like a little house rooftop, and now one face of that, it makes a little thing that your paint bottles or your decal solution bottles or whatever can sort of recline against 
<laughs> and when you open the yeah, so they're they're relaxed. Put me like one of your French girls, right? They're relaxed <laughs> to start with, which is good when you need them to do work. But you open the drawer and you look down and you can see all the labels. Wake up, lazy! Time to go to work. <laughs> Have you settled, fucker? You open the drawer and it's suddenly light in there, and they're all ah, turn off the lights. <laughs> well, except the primer is always ready to go. He's like, "Come on, man, let's right. go, let's He's go! Primed. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready." <laughs> oh my god the, no. for the three people who are still listening right now right. thank you so much and, and uh, just and, and for the record no listeners we are not all high as fuck okay just, <laughs> just want to make that clear so Meddings we know what you're up to Tracy what's happening in your workbench uh, uh, well there is actually something happening at the workbench so that's nice uh you know, the last time we talked, the, the the Panzer One paint fiasco had kind of sidetracked my mojo, and it still has. I'm still, from where I'm sitting, I can see it sitting on the paint bench, and I have no plan. Um, I have no uh, plan on how to attack it to get what I want, so until I do come up with a plan, it's just going to sit there. But in the meantime, I've actually... Um, a lot of the home improvement seems to have settled down, and I've pulled out, uh, again, the AFV Club uh, Scimitar and have continued working on that. I started that a while back, just, you know, uh, waiting for paint to dry, looking for something to do. I pulled it out and started building it, and now I've got uh, uh, the hole is, is pretty much complete. I've got to work on the turret um, I've ordered a bunch of diorama stuff from an Etsy shop that looks really promising. And, of course, that'll arrive probably the day before I leave for uh, for World Bottle Expo. So, Well, you'll uh, find it all. Postage free at World Bottle Expo. No, 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 I won't. I won't even look. I won't even look. So, yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a real good idea for what I'm going to do with that. The base and everything already pretty well gelled in my mind, and I feel like I've ordered what I need for the groundwork. And uh, I'll be looking for some Barracuda netting at World Model Expo. But other than that, I got everything I need for that one to, to finish it up. Only other thing that's going on, I uh, got the new Panzer Rex uh, 24 yesterday in the mail. Uh, record time. I ordered that thing last week from Europe. And it arrived uh, yesterday. And it is awesome. 130 pages. So it is thicker and bigger and better than the others. Super cool artwork by Philippe Rodna again, which is great. It's uh, it's this eye-catching pink color on the cover, and uh, um, but man, it's got some great. Darren Gowell's got a photo in here of a uh, of a Yog Panther, and there's like 22 pages of photos of Yog Panthers. There's two new photos of the uh, infamous octopus camo king tiger, and then there's a shit ton of photos of uh, these little. Jagdpanzer 4L-48 with just gobs of concrete armor. It's crazy looking. And they've got page after page of that stuff. So um, that's what I've been doing for the last couple of days is just sticking my nose in that. It's it's great. So is that a whole series of books? Or... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's famous. That one. Yeah. It's been, what, at least 15 years. Okay, so covers like all of the... German boxy shooty things. Yes, well, it does. It does. Some, <laughs> some, uh, some. Uh, we'll call them volumes. Some volumes are focused on 
regions. Like there's a couple of volumes on Italy specifically. There's a couple of volumes on Normandy specifically. Um, there's one on Yugoslavia, but for the most part, they are, um, oh, there's a couple on the bulge. Uh, but for the most part, they're just, a, a just really esoteric photos of German fighting vehicles. A lot of them with like crazy modifications. These are, these are like crazy photos that, that you're not going to find anywhere else. Like, oh, before we got on, I was reading about this one series of photos that was taken by Bear Gillis Grillis. What's his name? Bear Gillis? Bear Gillis? Grill. There are photos in here taken by Bear Grill's grandfather. Okay. Which is crazy. So it's just a collection of photos? Is it like reference text? I mean... It... Yes, yeah, and they're uh, very well researched. The captions yeah, they're are very well researched. Really I mean, this it's the it you know each volume is kind of like a little holy grail because some of the stuff in there is just it's unreal that they dig it up and and I think by this point you know twenty four volumes in um, if you've got cool photos or if you relatives have cool photos like you actually contact these guys and are like hey man yeah. I've got these this is what's written on the back and then they contact they've got a team of researchers that work with them and they'll dig into, you know, what unit might've been, uh, had that vehicle or and something specific about it. But they also examine each photo very carefully and, and point out things that are just weird little uniquenesses to that individual vehicle. That's not like any of the others. Um, and they're like a great... lot of us, you get off on like making an actual vehicle, a specific vehicle particularly one that's a bit unique or a bit different than individual. That's, that's like a goldmine for projects like that. If you know, if that's what you love to do, you can't do without this and you build panzers. You can't yeah. do it without this book. So, sounds, like, sounds cool. Where does one go to purchase these Holy Grail volumes? Um, uneducated I mean, most, listeners out there. Pretty much anywhere that does modeling books. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much anywhere that stocks modeling books. I ordered mine directly from them. Because uh, I order, they re, they reprinted a couple of volumes that I didn't have, um, and they had a damaged copy, which I can't find the damage uh, of a volume that I didn't have. So I basically flushed out three volumes that I didn't have before uh, for my collection, and then this new volume uh, ordered it directly from them. But what what else is really crazy is like there's a photo uh, from Darren Gall in here of a Yog Panther. Which is a really, it really, it lacks its main gun. But I'm trying to find it. How much do these? How much do these books cost? Like twenty five bucks. It's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, no, for one hundred and thirty pages landscape format. That's not bad at all. So just to complete what I was saying, don't the, the, like. There's this photo from Darren, which is a really crazy, unique photo, and then they've got four other photos of the same vehicle. Like yeah. they'll they'll get a contribution of something like this, and they'll s somehow match it to like something else that somebody sent in years ago, or something they bought years ago, and they're oh yeah right, and then all of a sudden, suddenly they have four photos of this vehicle that we're lucky to even have one photo of, and photos from like different angles of it. So if you're looking to model it, it's it's I mean you've got this Yagpan there. There's three out of the four sides are photographed. I mean that's. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Are these guys uh, where where are these guys located? Are they are they in Germany? No, they're in the UK. Lee, it's Lee gotcha. Archer. Okay. Is there an equivalent series? Like, is there 
a Sherman Rex series or a Russian Tanks Rex series? Or is it only purely for the German armor aficionados? I think Pico uh, Publishing has done some... They've done some volumes on the various Russian tanks to T-34-85, hmm. the SU-122, the SU-85. So if you're looking for something with the equally kind of cool photographs and whatnot, then the Pico Publishing books for um, for that part of the, the Allies, anyway, they, they also do a lot of German stuff. These guys focus solely on, on the Panzer Rex. I don't know. They did the big, that huge Panther uh, Panzers in Berlin book. Um, but they also did, if I'm not mistaken, Darren Neely's uh, Forgotten Archives series, which there are three of, which is all, um, it's all either, it's majority ally vehicles uh, with a handful of German vehicles thrown in from those archives. But um, the first one is out of print and going for, you know, a couple of hundred bucks. And the second and third one you can still get, and they're, they're, big massive hardback books just full of allied armor so am i so am i the only one who sees the irony in this in the fact that there's a book called panzer rex and they feature german armor it's the authoritative set of volumes on this and it's produced in the uk and that there are no equivalents for the other you know, other major armies in World War Two. What this sounds like is that you're not, you don't know a lot about armor modeling because. Oh, I don't. I don't know shit about armor modeling. The most popular subject is Panzers. We know so that. If you want to yeah. create, a, you know, so a it sells well, but b you get a lot of people who spend a lot of time researching it and have got a lot of expertise on researching it. Also, the photos are primarily from Rep Panzers are primarily going to come from. English right. or American collections makes that makes sense because yeah. the Germans weren't taking photos of their own tanks after they were blown up while they were retreating. Yeah. Whereas, if you want to buy pictures of destroyed French tanks, the best place to go is German eBay because the Germans would take photos, take them home, and they'd be in grandpa's album. And makes then people good, yeah. go around buying up albums. And so, you know, it's just a sort of quirk of history. Makes good that sense. A lot of interest, you know. but you see where I was kind of looping around with that back to you know Matt McDougall's old question of why is this representation of of the German subject so much greater than others? And you know it's a thing. I, I'm not you know I'm not trying to get into a debate about the merits of it. I just can't help but notice that it is and remains a thing. Yeah, but then also if you're going to be a pinko antifa communist anti-nazi like me then if you're going to build a panzer you're going to build it blown up yeah for so sure. you know they're books right. of wrecked yeah, panzers, that's the beauty of not, not running cool. panzers in terms of fetishizing the enemy i think it's this, kind of the opposite, this, it does yeah. the opposite yeah, yeah. because it's all blown up tanks it makes good sense and a lot of them are like gi's posing next to blown up tanks or like you know civilians after the tanks have started because they'll have a photo of a vehicle uh, taken in 1945 by a GI as, you know, 10, 10 days after it was blown up. And then they'll have like three years later and, and it's basically been stripped of everything. It's up on blocks <laughs> and there's a couple of, you know, lovely French ladies out for a picnic on it. Not, not that you can get a, a figure of a lovely French lady. Oh, we're going to come back to that too here momentarily. <laughs> <laughs> what you have to remember is that the Germans left their junk all over Europe when yeah. they finished with it. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm not trying to derail, but you know, that's what we do. We, 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 we go down these, these little side, side trails and see what's. Man, I'm, don't worry. I'm happy to have waxed eloquent about. No, I think it's, I think it's cool. And I learned something because if I do, it's, if I, if I do at some point decide that I want to build a German boxy shooty thing, I'm now I know where to go for cool references. And I love that. So it's all good. It's all good. I'd also like to point out that I got mine yesterday and Sam Dwyer, who's always like, every time he posts on somebody's birthday, he's like, oh, happy birthday from the future. Suck it, Sam. <laughs> You're still waiting yeah, on yours. Well, I think, I think Sam's probably not going to be too broken up by this because he's still, he's still awash in the afterglow of winning best in show at the Australian IPMS Nationals over the weekend that we just had. I mean, he cleaned the fuck up down there. Well, and then he came home to find out that he's going to be on the cover. His his Russian tank (laughs) is going to be on the cover of AFB Modeler 125. I was like, like, yeah, you're kind of killing it right now, aren't you, you, bro? So, yeah, he's... He can't do wrong for doing right. He really can't. I don't think he's going to be too sad about you getting your book 24 hours sooner. You'll be okay. No, he's probably going to set up a Patreon and make me uh, pay to talk to him now. <laughs> well, don't give him any ideas because we are going to try and talk to him at some point in the near future. He's coming over here for the IPMS Nationals, and we are hatching a plot to have him on as a guest at said IPMS Nationals. So could be interesting. Um, but before any of that happens and before I even consider building a tank, I have to finish my fucking Hornet, and I am almost there. I know, I'd be yawning too. Trust me, I have Hornet fatigue, but I am so close. I am literally, literally at the tail end of the project. Um, the uh, you, know, you know, this I, I say it over and over again, and I've compared notes with a bunch of guys who are really good aircraft model makers, who, and we all pretty much agree that this nice. kit... Yeah, not you guys, uh, but you will. You will if you decide to build one after your Top Gun movie-going experience. Uh, it's an 80% kit. I mean, the 80% of it is really good. They did a great job. The other 20%, meh, they just kind of, you know, they just kind of phoned it in. Like the masks. I had to use their canopy masks, or I attempted to, after using up my Edward set on canopy 1.0 and after doing you know all of the drama of fixing and polishing and prepping canopy 2.0 i tried to use the kit masks and they're terrible they're just absolute garbage they're made out of some kind of vinyl stuff that makes you think it's gonna stretch but it doesn't it's just not good does it not conform well to the curves then not at all and you know the bubble canopy is very much a compound curve and so i ended up having to go old school and mask with little bits of tape and and uh mr masking saw and that's fine but uh yeah and the other thing that's terrible in the main kit is the nozzles um the the afterburner cans are just really not good and you know they they made concessions to injection molding, which are totally understandable, but they're still terrible. Regardless of the reasons, they're still terrible. And I was going to buy, I thought about buying the res kit nozzles because they're supposed to be pretty good. And obviously I like the res kit guys and 
because they're trying to survive in a war zone over there. I thought it might be good to contribute to their efforts, but yeah, that was overcome by my desire to challenge myself with Fusion 360. And so I designed my own uh, set of nozzles and took me about three tries to get them, you know, with design iterations to get them to print acceptably on my nifty little uh, Epax X14K. Got to throw the plug in there. Um, and uh, so, you know, that's been good. But you talk about making work for yourself. I mean, it's, you know, because it's, it, you totally back yourself into a corner because you can create an unlimited amount of detail in, in CAD. So like the, these nozzles have, uh, on the insides of them, they have these leaves, they're ceramic leaves, there's 12 of them. And each of those has three screws. And each screw has a little round cover on it. Actually, some of them have a little square cover. But nonetheless, it's a separate little detail that's very easy to see in the real thing because, of, because the leaves after they get old are kind of this dark gray ashy color, but the little covers tend to still stay white. And so the insides of the nozzles, and, you, and then you can have some brand new leaves that are white or tan, and then you've got the gray ones. And so you can kind of get this neat striped pattern inside there. And the dark colored ones have little, have three little white round covers on them that are about a millimeter in diameter at 148. So there's a really interesting pattern inside those nozzles if you want to try to paint it. And I tried to design it to make that easy, which means, yeah, now you got to paint it. And uh, yeah, painting 36 little round dots inside of a tube that's basically eight millimeters in diameter, 10 millimeters in diameter is, is a bit of a challenge, but it's going to be cool. I think it's a high, it's a high value detail. So can't you design a mask for doing that? Oh, well, I suppose that you probably could. Yeah, absolutely. You could, um, you could just make a mask that would look like a little strip with three holes in it and you could put them in there if you could get them lined up. But what I did is I just designed the, each of those little screw covers as an inset, like a, like a, an inset rivet. And so it's just deep enough to hold some paint. And I, I chose to use inks because they just work great for stuff like that. And so you just get the brush in there and deposit enough material that it sort of flows and fills up the little cylindrical depression. And if you get a little... Like a pin wash. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but, but it holds better than a pin wash. Uh, but, but it, you know, with the ink, if you color outside the lines a little bit, you know, it's relatively easy to clean up without any penalties. So, yeah. With water? Spit, water, 409. I mean, it, you know, whatever, whatever works pretty good. Well, you know, we, we like to be specific with our solvents. So I agree. I agree. And, it, it, and that's the Is thing it about it. solvent or dilutant? <laughs> <laughs> Where do you buy spit? <laughs> yeah, what kind of spit? Yeah. Well, what do they call it in Europe? Is it like uh, future gob. pledge? Call it gob. <laughs> gob. <laughs> the details matter for sure. For sure. I, I, I diluted it with gob. That's gobbed on it. UK listener. <laughs> I just use plain old spit. You know, if I'm feeling really fancy, I'll chew some spearmint gum so it smells good. But Tracy, we're know. back to the pistols. <laughs> spitting <Yeah>. everywhere 
But anyway, yeah, that's all I've been really up to. And I am so close. Like I have just a couple of more steps to do. And uh, I am done. I might even finish today. Who knows? So, Ooh, yes. that's awesome. I know you guys will be relieved, right, to not have to hear about the Hornet anymore. Well, no, 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 no. Not relieved. Like, I will be pleased that my friend has completed his model in the way that he wanted to. Mostly. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm all about my friend succeeding. That's, that's awesome. I don't know if I'm going to call it a success. I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's. Uh, I'm overall, overall, I think I'm going to be pretty happy with it, but stuff like this canopy drama, that's why I call it the stupid bug instead of the super bug, because it just at times has felt really stupid. And I just, you know, and of course I get myself into these situations because I could have elected not to have the canopy closed, for example, or I could have elected not to care about the gap that just about everybody sees like I saw a picture on the Ming Facebook page the other day because they do this thing, best of every month, and they you know you send your your pictures in and they post them, and uh, there's a guy building the the uh, the uh, uh, the growler, uh, the the electronic warfare version of the Hornet, and his canopy has a gap that you can slip a credit card into, at between the canopy and the windscreen. And he just elected not to do anything about it. But you can see it from a mile away. And, you know, there are dudes out there who are like, oh, well, mine seems to fit fine. And it's like, okay, cool. You got lucky. You should play the fucking lottery too, genius. Yeah. I don't know, though, because like you said with that guy with the gas, does it fit fine or do they just not have the same standards you have? They may not. I mean, yeah, there's that too. There's that too. You may just have low standards, bro. There's that. Or... Uh, or maybe he's literally building out of the box. Well, but and just cares about the finish. Yeah, you know, and, that may, and that's fine. That's totally cool. Good for you. But you know, you're you're not a modeling genius if your parts fit correctly. Okay, this is something that we could spend like an hour on and talk about, like engineering tolerances and shit. If we really want to put people to sleep, but it's just a fact. It's just a fact. Nothing comes out of the injection mold perfectly, and so. You know, there's going to be anyway. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm yep, not going to do it. We have other I'm, stuff to talk about. I'm really looking forward to seeing this thing finish, though. I, I hope it's because I know you've put so much into it. You know, I have, and you know, and I started out. <laughs> that's the irony is I started out thinking that it was going to be just a simple, straightforward. <laughs> I'm going to put it together, and I'm going to paint it, and it's going to be fun. And it's been so much the opposite. Wasn't it like supposed to be like a relaxing out of the box? It was. Job? It was. Yeah. yeah. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was. Yeah. Break after the P40. Mm-hmm. You're like, ah. Mm-hmm. Well. Yep. Breaks the over. Boosh, boosh. Get back to work. Yep. It it was everything but that. But I won't say it hasn't been fun. I mean, a lot of it has been fun, but that little twenty percent part has been very much not fun, and it just wouldn't have been there on a Tamiya kit, for example. Um, and I'm. I'm totally fine with that. There's a dude right now who's ranting all over YouTube about how much he hates Tamiya kits because they're just, you know, they're just shake and bake and you just throw them together and real modelers. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. 
It's just. Yeah. I've been modeling for forty years. <laughs> years. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And he goes on about it. It's like a wink and a nod. Like I, you know, I'm not really saying that Tamia stuff's no good or or that you know you're some. And it's like really, it's just shut up. Nobody believes you. Nobody's buying the wink and the nod. You think you well, are super cool because you built uh, real kits. No, as soon as you come out to being that kind of contrarian, yeah, like you lose half your audience. Yeah. Everybody's just like, yeah. "Oh, you're an idiot." Yeah, nobody's no, nobody's idiot. buying your shit, bro. It's I mean, it's like you might as well just put a sticker on your forehead or write, you know, write on your face with a sharpie. I need to make myself feel better about myself because that's exactly what's going on usually that's what's at the bottom of it because these are guys that you know grew up whittling it out of wood with a blunt <laughs> spoon and no plans and uh, you know and they're like ah oh, it was real modeling back in my day what they're really bothered about is that they're no longer relevant that yeah. because they well, the, like yeah, painting they haven't progressed with modeling they yeah. paint it with the wrong end of a paintbrush dipped in fucking enamel unthinned enamel you know and then they like but you guys don't respect me with your fanny techniques. Well, and who said we? And who said we didn't? Because look, then you've got guys, then you've got guys like Saint Paul Budzik, who literally started out carving shit out of wood, and guys like Guillermo Rojas Bazan, who literally starts with a sheet of aluminum litho plate, mm. and and produces a one fifteenth scale engineering replica, and those guys are not whining about nobody respecting them so you know where is the problem well, like nor, a, nor would they whine about it the you know to me a kit not being good 100 percent. and yeah i mean look paul's building the building the new tamia uh, uh p38 and he loves it thinks it's great so anyway it's a personal problem but speaking of making ourselves feel better we're going to be a bit random on this episode, of course, because I'm driving and it's always a, always a train wreck in, in, in process. But we've got some emails um, and we, we really should acknowledge those. Hi guys, it's Chris again, and I'm here to tell you all about the awesome photo etched stuff from Tetra Model Works. Tetra Model Works do everything from armor to aircraft to ships. They cover scales from 1700 to 1350 to 172nd to 148 to 135th and 132nd. New releases from Tetra include 135th Mark 23 MTVR with armor protection, interior and exterior sets for the trumpeter kit, 172nd sets for the STL56 Francisca from Tacom, and M983 Hempt and M901 Launching Station with MIM-104 Pack 2 for Trumpeter. And 1700 sets for the PLA Navy Type 0728 LST from Trumpeter and the 1700 Japanese light cruiser Yubari from Pit Road. All these and the highly popular sets for Russian, British, American and other armour and ships and those detail sets for aircraft are all available from your local Tetra Model Works dealer. Visit tetramodelworks.com to find out who your local dealer is today. Hey guys, Chris here from Inside the Armour. I'd like to tell you about a new book I've got coming soon called Modelling AFV Club Armour. In the book, we've got such great modellers as David Parker, John Murphy, David Chow, Jose Brito, Mark Neville, K. 
Ken Abrams and myself, Chris Meddings. Subjects range from World War II to Cold War to current armoured fighting vehicles. The book will be launched at the World Model Expo show on the weekend of the 1st of July. However, pre-orders begin in the middle of June. Go to InsideTheArmor.com and sign up for our newsletter to make sure you don't miss your chance to pre-order. All right, so quick break, quick break there to pay some bills. Oh, and wait, before we move on, since we're paying bills, I want to say that one of the things that I that I did in the last couple of days um, is I got a sample of paint from our new sponsor, right? SMS Paints. We've both used it now, right? Yeah. Chasey, you've not got any yet. Well, barely. I opened one bottle of the aluminum and used it as a base got a coat. Taste. Yeah, used it as a base coat for my nozzles. And it look. Hey, speak, speaking of nozzles, if you ever decide to, to uh, market those 3D nozzles that you printed for the Hornet, mm-hmm. I've got a perfect uh, company name for you. <laughs> Douche nozzle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so gonna happen. But D double O S H. Right. Nozzles for the douche in your life. There you go. There you go. Well, I think that I think that I think that moment is gonna prove what a bunch of the emails we get you know from our listeners about our our personal chemistry. It's true. Yeah, you know. I can see the packaging hoard it. It's pretty good. That personal chemistry is pretty good. It's good stuff. But to go <laughs> to go back to the uh, <laughs> to go back to the paint before we get too far off track, <laughs> and before we make before we make Scott Taylor regret signing up as a as a sponsor for the Sprue Cutters Union. So yeah, I mean SMS uh, Scale Modeler Supply, right? That's the that's what that stands for. It's an abbreviation, not an acronym. Uh, he's Australian, and he's producing lacquers that, by report of a lot of guys I trust, is kind of the equivalent of MRP, my favorite. And so I've been super curious about it, and Scott wanted to come on board as a sponsor, which, of course, we're stoked about. Um, and um, But I told him, you know, straight up, I'm like, look, I, I'm not going to advertise something. For paint, I'm not going to advertise something that I've not used. I just feel an obligation. And he was awesome. He's like, what do I need to send you? And uh, I got a nice little package from Dan Under, which is always fun. And uh, you got to stop doing that. I really do, don't I? I it's, it's bad. Yeah, I, you really do. <laughs> See what it's like. See what it feels like. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with that, actually. I, that, was pre- that was a pretty good uh, New York, maybe, or Boston. Anyway... But it's I, so look, I just, you know, for me, I, I measure paint uh, like my standard for paint is can I take it straight out of the bottle, spray it and be stoked? And if the if the answer is no or sort of it's points off. And that's exactly what I did with this stuff. I did not change any of my equipment or my method. I just grabbed a pipette that was already, you know, had a bunch of layers of dried MRP inside of it, stuck it in the bottle of, of the SMS aluminum and uh, sprayed some and was, in fact, stoked. And I think your results were similar, weren't they, Chris? 
you know I like Tamiya and I never try other paints because I get really good results from Tamiya and it's like you know how much I hate the phrase if it ain't broke. Tamiya's the one place where I actually apply it because you know. <laughs> but this sprays like this sprays like Tamiya when I've got it perfectly mixed. But with, the difference is with it does lacquer it out thinner. of the bottle yeah. every time. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's it's yeah. I didn't think I could find a paint that I preferred to Tamiya. Well, I was wrong because yeah. SMS is. This sounds like we're just doing this because it's an advert, but I don't talk. You know, I don't don't say we could just not talk about the paint mm-hmm. if exactly. we wanted to you know yeah i would the, the yeah. fact we're talking about it is to tell people what it's like yeah and, and honestly the only issue i've got with it is that in the uk it's quite expensive and you do go through a bottle quite quick mm-hmm. but that's just because it's so good and it's yeah. so easy to spray and it's easy to clean up it dries mm-hmm. fast i can't the thing i love to do though and i know you love to do this with mrp so i know we're on the same page but i love building up fine semi-transparent layers and it does that beautifully, but if you want to lay an opaque layer, it'll do that as well. It's just, yeah, I can't fault it, really. Yeah, that's what I was doing with the aluminum, because I wanted a base coat to kind of set up the metallic finish on those nozzles. But I also wanted to just see if I had any scratches, because, you know, there's nothing like yeah. a, a coat of aluminum colored paint to show you all of your sanding fuck-ups. A uh, nice shiny natural metal. Mm-hmm. Ping. Yeah, and and it did exactly what I wanted it to do, and that's why it's a win. Because for me, the number one thing with paint is it's I want it to be one hundred percent predictable. Period. Yeah. And again, if it's not, it it it's junk. I, I you know, and 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 if he had sent me acrylic, I'd be starting out my endorsement with okay for an acrylic, it's not you know it's not bad. I, <laughs> Because that's for me, that's the deal. You know, with acrylics, you gotta stand on one foot, hold your tongue just right, and only paint in the correct phase of the moon, and then you can. No, make they it. do do, they do do acrylics, though, don't they? The infinite color. I, I do just they? gotta say, I've not tried that. Yeah, I I think the infinite color is is water based acrylic, but the we've only tried the SMS. Uh, I believe they call them acrylic lacquers, but we need to get him on. Yeah, we and I do. I really, I do. I I told him. I I said, man, I, you know. Uh, we talk about paint chemistry all the time on on the podcast. It would be great to have an actual paint chemist as a guest, and he's on board. So, yeah, hopefully, to get a paint manufacturer on and go through that would be yeah. fantastic. Hopefully, he, really, he will. He's be, a really good guy, Scott. Too. Yeah, he seems really cool, and hopefully, he will be under the uh, under the uh, Sprue Cutters Union hot lights soon, and we will interrogate him about all of the paint chemistry things. He doesn't want to reveal anything proprietary, which I totally understand. Well, of course, but, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but I'm sure we could talk in generalities mm-hmm. and still, I think, so. get some interesting yeah. stuff so. for the listeners. Yeah, but it's good paint, and you know, look, I'm not going to switch from MRP. I love MRP. I've got a shit ton of it, and there's no reason for me to switch. But here's the thing: is is there's a lot of places in the world where MRP is hard to get. And so now with SMS, you've got what is by all appearances an equivalent that scores every bit as high for me in all of the important areas that you can get in places like Australia and New Zealand where MRP is tough to get. So that's lovely. That's competition. I love it. For me as well, I can run it next to Tamiya. And with Tam- I've tried mixing it with Tamiya as well, and it works just fine. Mm-hmm. No problems yep. at all. 100%. With a little extra, um, little extra uh, Mr. Color Thinner or, or MLT or, or anything like that. I did try thinning it with MLT. It doesn't work quite so well when you thin it more, 
but I only did that as an experiment because, frankly, I don't think you need to anyway. You know, you basically overthin it if you add thinner, but, you know. The only time that I thin MRP is when I'm doing a blend layer. You know, like after I've built up all those, you know, marbling, texturing, whatever you want to call it, and I'm trying to sneak up on the right amount of contrast, I will I will go to like 70% thinner just so I can really, you know, come at it gradually. But that's about the only time I ever feel the need to reduce the stuff. And I think SMS can be the same way. The other thing I like about it, it comes out of the airbrush no problem at all with a bit of uh, lack of thinner. You know, there's, there's no like breaking the airbrush down to clean it or anything like that. Nothing cleans up easier. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I have trouble with Tamiya with pigment. Uh, being a bit cloggy in the paint mm-hmm. if you don't mix it exactly right or do it exactly right and i don't have any trouble with this because it's pre-mixed right that never happens so i never get like if i've put a lighter color into a darker color and i've not mixed it well enough you might get the odd spot of paint in your finish and it's really annoying this just doesn't do it it mixes fine it thins fine and i can mix it with tamiya and it you know it's very flexible very good paint i'm really pleased with it yes gets the official well i can't say official since hancock hasn't tried it yet but uh Not yet. i think it'll be a 3 out of 3 i predict yeah, i'm looking forward to it yeah but be honest if you don't like it you know that's we're, we're not here to uh like we said we're not here to to um fluff up people's uh brands or what have you you know we just say what we actually think about it yeah we want people to know if we say it's good shit it's actually good shit that's, that's and it's good like, shit. That <laughs> is part of our. We've we've got our marginal reputation to think of. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when Ford come and knock in, I want them to know. You know. <laughs> uh, are we ready to get back to the mail for a minute? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so yeah, uh, look, I we got a bunch of really nice emails, and I I am not going to read them all. Um, but I am going to touch on a couple of them because look, we really appreciate this. Um, you know, we, we told you guys at the very beginning of this podcast adventure to send us your hate mail so we could, you know, mock you and make fun of you and, and, you know, have lots of LOL about the hate mail. And frankly, you guys are terrible at following instructions. All right. Because come on, you fuckers. What the fuck? You keep sending us nice mail. And telling us that we're doing great. And okay, all joking aside, we really appreciate that. It's great to know that um, you guys are listening and and that we've you know managed to resonate in spite of ourselves. And so, you know, like Damien uh, Rigby says, awesome episode, guys. Such a wonderful roundtable with Saint Paul and Sir David. Um, absolutely heart wrenching and inspirational interview with Alexi. Um, if you haven't listened to that, you really got, you really have to, it's, it is, I mean, it's, it's gnarly. I was uh, getting pretty choked up during the interview with Alexi cause it's just, just powerful stuff to hear a guy who's actually in the war zone and just trying to carry on it, You know, it really, he's, he's hand carving one thirty second world war one aircraft propellers in between air raid sirens for cruise missiles yeah i mean so whatever your complaints about your daily life are right now you yeah, keep it in perspective martin drayton just finished listening to the episode i'm sure this will be another of your episodes that i will listen to again that right there to me is one of the best compliments because that tells me that you know you guys are really finding depth of information that we're we're trying to bring to you guys in spite of all of the shenanigans and dick jokes and well, let's let's be clear. I mean, it's it's all the the uh, the guests. 
really. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of complimentary stuff about the, you know, we talk about how having these people on has, has changed our modeling, has changed the way we look and, and think about what we're mm-hmm. doing at the bench. And we've just gotten so many letters saying the same thing, you know, that, that uh, you know, like Martin is, I like his, <laughs> is uh, the way he puts it, you know, he's talking about the guests that we have on. He said they definitely made him a better modeler. Their philosophy, methodology, and advice has changed who I am when it comes to scale modeling. The mix of styles, area, scope, and opinions on modeling can vary hugely, but all of them are dropping wisdom like B-52 bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. And and I think it's clear that the that the interview with Alexi really resonated. And, and I think, honestly, maybe we did a little good in the world because several of these guys, like Clay Williams – who's a fantastic modeler. We should think about getting him on as a guest sometime. Should, actually, yeah, he's, he's right. He's a, he's a, he's really an artistic genius, especially with world war one stuff. But you know, he went and bought some, some props from, from, uh, from, from Alexi. And I, you know, so look, it's, it's a little bit of good. Um, you know, Paul Wheeler said some really nice stuff. Same thing about Chris's book, the models for Ukraine book that he, um, I believe he also bought, uh, calls it one of the best modeling books in his collection. I mean, that's, look, that just feels good. And everybody likes to feel mm. good. Uh, so we appreciate that. We got a really nice one from Jason Works that I also think is cool because he says he's not a military modeler, no aircrafts, tanks, figures, but he builds MotoGP motorcycles and automotive subjects, which, you know, that's a whole other skill set. And, um, you know, he said that, that he's picking up some stuff, insights, tips, and ideas that he feels are making him better, even though it's not the genre that we typically talk about. Um, and he notes that the three of us have amazing chemistry. So, yeah, there you go. Um, it's, uh, it's good stuff. The, uh, the one that I really kind of want to focus on is, so we had, a, we had another one where I feel like, what we did resulted in somebody else kind of running with it and doing something cool. And that's from Jake JHM. Uh, and that's not his real name. I know his real name, but he's trying to keep, he's trying to keep it on the down low. Um, Jake is a super good dude. He's uh, from Austin, Texas. And, and he's a super enthusiastic and intelligent guy. And he, and he, and he gets into it and he wrote us a really nice email about the interview with Alexi and he even decided to sort of do his own thing where if somebody who wants some props would just message him and tell him he would buy them and ship them out. So all Alexi had to do is make them and send them to him and then he'll take care of shipping them out to the guys that actually wanted them. And I mean, that's a, you know, I mean, guys, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty big deal to do something like that because that takes work. Yeah, it absolutely does. That's not just sending a nice email or placing a you know clicking a button to place an order. You know, he's he's really taking it and run with it there. Yeah, fair play to him. Thank yeah. you, thank you, Jake. Yeah, absolutely. And so now we come to another topic that Jake brought up. Um, and this this was not an email he sent to us. This was a lengthy post that he brought up that he put up in. Uh, SMCG. And he wanted to talk more about the subject that we touched on quite a bit on the last episode, 
which is sexism in the model making space. And he wrote a lengthy email that I think was really pretty good. Um, he, you know, he challenged the community. He and he challenged us, and he kind of challenged me specifically. And I and I want to address that because he brought up me saying something about boys being boys. And I, I want to clarify something. I know that that is a phrase that's kind of loaded. That in a lot of contexts that it's used as a as a, a wink and a nod, as a pass. You know, when boys do. You know, when they perpetrate shenanigans, they play rough, they do stupid shit. You know, we have a tendency. It's a cultural thing. Eh, you know, boys will be boys. Unfortunately, that has been applied to excusing shitty behavior by dudes towards women. And I want to make it 100% clear that, A, that is fucking unacceptable. It's a cop-out. And it is 100% not what I meant when I said, yeah, dudes will be dudes. Uh, which those were my exact words, probably a distinction without a difference for a lot of you. But let me be clear. What I meant when I said that is all of us who are carrying testicles around with us, we have a certain amount of DNA and testosterone that affects our operating systems in certain ways. And so we're going to respond. I mean, if I see a pretty girl, I, you know, I appreciate the fact that there's a pretty girl. That's what I meant when I said dudes will be dudes. I in no way, shape, or form meant that in any way to excuse bad behavior. And I just want to make that clear. And I want to thank Jake for challenging me on that. And, and you know, because there doesn't need to be any misunderstanding there. Yeah, we should have pulled a handbrake and, and, and sort of brought that up whenever it happened. Um, yeah, but we were but, in the middle of it. Yeah, there, you know, was, there was a bit of flow, so... You know. Yeah. So does that, I mean, does that, is that okay? Did I, I mean, do you guys feel like I've addressed that thing? Okay. Um, and, and you know, it fully full transparency. If I've not say it, let's talk about it right now. Uh, yeah, I can't say I a hundred percent agree with you, but, uh, at the same time, um, you, you know, it didn't mean what people have taken it. You didn't mean what people have taken it to mean and you've explained what you meant. So, yeah. Yeah, I could have chosen a better a better set of words there. I It's a very loaded phrase, that's the problem. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I and I didn't even think about that fact. I was just looking for a quick and easy way to say, look, we're dudes. We like, you know, mo- I mean, for the most part, we like girls. If you don't like girls, that's okay too, but, you know, that's a natural thing. But just don't be a dick about it, right? That's the that's what we're really focusing on. I think we didn't start this conversation and uh, we won't end this conversation either. It, it's something that's come up on Built Sideways, and I think PPP have covered it a bit. And, you know, it's obviously something that's going around. Also, I have to say, uh, we were talking about it before the show started. There's a brilliant YouTube video out there from uh, Layla Mev, which, Lila Mev, Layla Mev, which is also really good on the subject, a miniature painter. There's loads of people out there talking about it, but I'm really glad that it sparked some debate when we brought it up. You know the, the subject. Absolutely, up and, it, yeah. it, it, it. Look, it's a tricky conversation, and the only way to get through tricky conversations, in my opinion, is to just keep working on them. And you know, it's not ever going to be perfect, but you got to keep working on it. Well, in addition to the sexism aspects of what we were talking about, there's 
in Layla's video um, and the discussion on SMCG uh, scale model critique group, it, it kind of, you know one of the things that it keeps bringing up is like you know part of what we we're asking for is just better selection, like a better selection of figures yeah. to work with. Like what we're given is in some cases ridiculous in terms of what it portrays. Um, just give us better choices, you know, like people, I don't know, the, the, the argument that tits sell, it's hard to have that argument when there's nothing else on the table. Like, how, how do you know something that's not equally, you know, that's not as, as dumb booby driven figure, one that's a, a little more realistically attired portraying the same strong person wouldn't sell as well or better. Like, you know, they're not being made. There's not enough of them being made to know. Um, and honestly, there's a lot of us who would just rather have something not so stupidly and overtly sexual um, as a woman wearing, you know, plate, plate mail bikini armor and nothing protecting her <laughs> vital organs as she's striding off into battle to fight the enemy. Like, okay. All right. Yes. Yeah, you're 100% right about that. There does need to be more choice. And and if that's the only thing that comes out of this conversation, that's still a good thing. That's still progress. Uh, I think, you know, somebody made the point that the more we talk about this, that the more people, and especially dudes, think about it. And if that affects your is thinking and your behavior, even in just one situation where you go, wait a minute. I was about to say this thing. Maybe that's not the best thing to say. I'm going to say it a different way. That's a good That's a good result, right? Yeah, for sure. I think that's what it really has to come down to, is it's kind of about individual actions. That's where we make progress. I think there, you know, as a bartender, uh, by profession and, and now a bar owner, there are rules you can apply to uh, a lot of modeling groups, whether they are... Uh, online or, or in the per in person that you would apply to a bartending gig, which is, you know, if you're misbehaving, you know, and, and you do this all the time, well, with SMCG, but I mean, you are kind of dictating standards in a, in a broad way, right? Yeah. You know, if you can, if you misbehave, you'll, you'll get, uh, you, you got to go, but you can come back when maybe you've learned your lesson and if you're being an ultimate <laughs> douchebag, then you just got to go. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I think that's that's pretty that's a pretty fair thing to do in this hobby. Uh, yeah. if, if you're trying to establish a space that's welcoming and uh, works to promote the hobby to everyone, and then, you know, you get, you know, a female modeler walks in and, you know, somebody's like, nice tits. Well, hey, man, why don't you get in your car and go home? Exactly leave like you're exactly you're, you're a problem and if you if you can come back and not be a crass asshole then maybe we'll have you back otherwise just stay in your dungeon and and build your models you know mm -hmm. so i think there is something there is a point where you stand up and you say okay no like that that's not acceptable like 100 percent. part of this came about because the question came up about, um, you know, like, like pinup art, you know, I mentioned that before about, about the magazines, Jake brought up the fact that, you know, like the weathering magazine, some of these others have a lot of this pinup art and, 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 you know, we also have a grossly overrepresented, uh, 
product offering that, you know, has rightly been brought up of ridiculously depicted fantasy women. And I think everybody has to recognize that that does create a certain environment and it's not necessarily the most positive thing. Um, but again, like with SMCG, like we have to decide, okay, if somebody wants to post their work where they've painted something like that, you know, what do we say? I mean, this is a real question and I'm asking it as a genuine question. What do we say? Nope, can't do that. We're not going to allow it. But like when I did a couple of years ago, I did one of Derek Stinning's uh, uh, Born in Concrete figures the 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 cosmonaut in her green bodysuit i mean it's pretty sexy is it too much i mean we you know this is the point i'm making is where do we draw the line and how do we figure that out it's tricky and again i think the only way that we get through it is to just have open conversation about it yeah i mean <clears throat> Again, you're asking it from a different perspective. Like you're you're saying, well, what do I allow to be posted on my Facebook group is a little different. I mean, there's you. I, I don't think anybody would ask you to not post or not allow a post of a woman. Again, just to use the same analogy over and over again, a, a, a woman going into battle wearing. Uh, you know, plate mail bikini top and, and nothing protecting your vital organs. And I mean, nobody's going to say don't mm -hmm. allow somebody to post that. But there are things on the other mm -hmm. end of the spectrum. Um, and I know I've, I've, I, uh, excuse me, I came across one as I was scrolling the other day <laughs> and it was an overtly sexual sculpt based on Japanese anime, like borderline hentai, like it was so fucking tacky. Like if it's, if it is designed to overtly elicit nothing but sexual images and, and representation, then maybe you pull a handbrake on that. Like maybe you're just like, Hey man, that is a little too far. Like that is, you know, like it, it doesn't, you know, which, I mean, this is so stupid to, to hear it coming out of my mouth, but you know, a Valkyrie woman riding off into battle wearing not enough armor, um, and a slit skirt and, you know, side boob aplenty is slightly different than somebody with their legs wide open and their mouth in an O and like, the only thing covering their vagina is a sword. Like it's, it is, it's, it is definitely different. Well, this is why they say, you know, how do you define pornography? I have no idea, but I know it when I see it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, it's tricky. And this is why in that same thread, I posed the question because I posted a picture of a, uh, I posted a uh, shared a post from Arno Lazaro, who is a phenomenal figure painter. I mean, I don't care what your preferences are as far as, you know, the subject goes. You cannot deny that the dude's paintwork is unbelievably good. He's amazing. Well, I mean, what we're getting into is, is something that I, I feel like I've already expended a lot of energy talking about. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of over it. Um, 
I mean, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm not trying to convert anybody to think the way I think, but I'm also just tired of listening to explanations from other people about why certain things should be called okay and others shouldn't. It, and I totally get, I, yeah, I totally get that. I understand the exhaustion. And just to be clear, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to explain why I think one thing is okay and the other isn't. No. Well, I mean, to be honest, I'm exhausted talking to people who keep asking me to make excuses for X, Y, and Z. That's, that's a lot of what that thread came down to were, was people mm-hmm. asking like, well, okay, but, you know, but it's painted well. Like, just look at the painting. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, one of the things that I pointed out in my response on that thing, and, and I, I, I took a lot of time to think about what was being said, what was being asked, and what I had to say about it. And I think the thing that that struck me the deepest, and it's something that I walked away from, I, I walked away from it, that discussion, having this light bulb turned on for me. And if it turns a light bulb off, on for somebody else, then that's great. But for me, the light bulb that came on was like, what am I asked to, what am I being asked to overlook here to applaud the painting of this figure? Like, what, what am I asked to, what am I asked, being asked to overlook? You know, like, it, and it's, it's not just about how women are represented in the hobby. Um, I mean, for me, a lot of that is just such a hard eye roll immediately um, <laughs> that that I don't stop and consider what I'm being asked to look at because I'm just not, I'm fucking tired of it at first sight. But as it applies to other parts of the hobby, I mean, there, there are people out there who build vehicles and settings and figures and dioramas from different conflicts all throughout history. You know, a lot of it's World War II. Um, but there's there's just a lot of people who kind of present this heroic side to the the worser parts of the German army. Yeah. Over and over and over again. The Gotterdammerung diorama. Yeah. Yeah, Heroic like final defense, all that crap. Like, yeah, I mean, what happened in Berlin in '45? It should just be a fucking a diorama of a bunch of dead Nazis and some Russians having a drink. Like that, the the heroic last stand. I mean, I'm just like, that's as much of a hard eye roll for me as some dumbass, you know, figurine of a of a ridiculously unrealistically portioned woman who doesn't seem to have kidneys. But has <laughs> but has legs three times the length of her torso. Like, like, what, what are you asking me to overlook here to applaud what you've done? Like, at a certain point, like, I, I can't overlook it anymore. Whether it's yeah. whether it's overt overtly sexual figures or the fact that all you model is you know the heroic last stand of the Waffen SS. Like, I'm just over it. I'm over that part of the hobby. You know, I, I look, man, I think this I, I, I think this is so important. And, and I, I'm so glad to hear you articulating this because I think that this is a this is a real like fundamental part of the popular zeitgeist right now on so many things. 
But what I want people to think about is considering why you like the shit that you like is important. It's worth doing. Whatever this topic is, it's worth doing because it may lead you to a better understanding of how somebody else thinks about it. And that might help to make the world a better place. That, that's, that's, my, that's, that's me kind of put, trying to put a bow on this thing. Well, we should stop because we've been going at it for a while. I, of course, was trying to make this a little shorter because our interview that we're about to get into with Mr. Pincelli is is long and fun. Uh, but, yeah, you know, as always, fail to do that because once we get into these conversations, they just take on a life of their own. But, yes, we do have a calendar and a clock to pay attention to. So what do you say, guys? Should we just get right into the interview? Yeah, sounds great. Gangsters, let's talk about the details, because I think you'll all agree, the details matter. And if you're as obsessed by detail as we are at the Sprue Cutters Union, you should be buying parts from Anna's. Look, I've known Tom Anna's for a while, and I can tell you that he is a man with a single-minded dedication to improving detail, whether it's 3D printed parts like knobs, switches, connectors that you can use in cockpits, decals, braided lines for your engines and hoses, or even 3D files that you can print at home on your own 3D printer, Tom's got you covered. He's really thought this through because he's a model maker and he uses this stuff himself. And now, Anis is also the European Union seller for the new book from Inside the Armor called Perfect Pits. So, not only can you buy the stuff you need, you can read all about how to use it in this neat little volume that our very own Chris Meddings has produced, and it includes articles from Tom, your own Veen, and myself. And, don't forget, you can get a Sprue Cutters Union exclusive discount, 15% off when you enter the code SCU at checkout. So... If the details matter as much to you as they do to us, head on over to Anyz, that's A-N-Y-Z, dot I-O right now and arm yourself with everything you need for your very own perfect pit. Hi, I'm Scott, the creator and owner of the Scale Modeler Supply, Australia's largest manufacturer of hobby paints. Our premium airbrush-ready acrylic lacquer paints are designed specifically for use on plastics with a comprehensive range covering all popular modelling subjects including military, aircraft, rail, auto, sci-fi and more. And not only that, but we also have a wide selection of essential hobby tools and now, infinite colour and new range of water-based paints for miniatures. So to check out our range and to find your closest retailer, please visit our website at scalemodeler.com.au. So when quality matters, choose SMS Paints. All right, Sprue Cutters, uh, welcome to the interview segment of this episode of the podcast. This is one that I've been really looking forward to for a long time. You guys have heard me mention uh, Gabe Pincelli a couple of times when we've when I've been moaning about my Hornet project because Gabe, as I've mentioned, is a master model maker and a former Hornet pilot. 
And so he's been uh, just, you know, an amazing resource for me. And I just thought he'd be a really interesting guy to have on the podcast. And so we've invited him on and he's here with us now. Welcome aboard, Gabe. Hey, hey, uh, happy to be here. Yeah, welcome aboard. Welcome. Thanks. We're going to cover all the things, as I said yesterday when we were messaging, uh, because there's just, yeah, I just think you're a super interesting guy and and there's a lot of stuff in your background that I want to geek out on. So um, we're going to we're going to interrogate the shit out of you right now. It sounds good. <laughs> At least somebody will listen to what I have to say for once. Well, you know, all five of the people Maybe. who listen to our right. podcast. Yeah. So a few. Yeah, we're anyway. always concerned that people are skipping uh, what we're saying anyway and getting to the interview. So yeah. yeah, it's just us they skip. Yeah, we also don't care because we're happy just the three of us to be able to, to chat you up and Sure. And uh, find out what's going on in your head. So let's start with kind of the basics. I mean, because I, I've, you know, when I was kind of selling these guys on the on the idea of having you on, they're like, well, who's Gabe? And I'm like, this guy is one of the best model makers that nobody ever heard of. <laughs> and, I, you know, because you're pretty quiet out there. You're not all over social media, uh, which is probably wise. Um, I'm suffering from social media fatigue, so... I may join you in the not being out there, but tell, give us a little bit of background uh, on your on your model making okay. because obviously that's the primary reason that we're here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like you said, I'm not especially active on social media. I lurk a lot. I try to soak in and uh, absorb as much information as I can. And and you know, if I if I think I could help somebody out there, sure, I'll speak up. But and it's 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 partly a, a personal bandwidth issue with just uh, needing to manage how much you put out there because the more you put out, the more you need to respond to. But uh, either way, yeah, um, been building models since, uh, heck, I, I, I don't know for sure exactly how old I was. It's a distant memory of building a an old Revell uh, A5 Vigilante, a little 70, I think it was actually box scale. I don't think it was even 70 second scale with my dad and or more like my dad building it with me. And, you know, that sort of uh, lit the fire, I, I would say. And then the, the earliest one I have a memory of building myself, it was the Hasegawa, the Minicraft Hasegawa boxing, the Blue Angel uh, A4 Skyhawk, which came with both. You could build it as either a two-seater or a single-seater. And that was also the first time I cut a chunk off my thumb. I went to the emergency room. So uh, that's perhaps why I remember it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think I originally had the bug, uh, the airplane bug, not the model bug, uh, starting from a very young age. And uh, the model bug came after that when I figured out I could, you know, build these little you know, replicas of all these things I'm fascinated with. And, and uh, both passions kind of grew uh, together uh, starting, you know, further back than I can remember probably. But uh, then I was fortunate to grow up in San Diego, California with the uh, Tomcats uh, doing the arrival in the Miramar coming over my, my house. And then uh, worked at a hobby shop in high school uh, that was owned by a, a former Navy Phantom pilot. And uh, he became kind of my mentor and uh, kind of showed me the way and encouraged me to do what I need to to uh, uh, to pursue, uh, uh, you know, a, a career in naval aviation. And uh, I'm convinced it's one of those things. I was talking to uh, some friends last week about it. You know, how'd, how'd you end up getting where you ended up? And I, you know, I, I really don't know. It takes a lot of people um, helping you as mentors and giving you guidance and pointing you in the right direction. And, and somehow it all worked out uh, by the grace of God. And I was fortunate to uh, to get to do what I got to do along with uh, my passion for the hobby. Well, I think one thing I th- one thing I want to ask you about, and I, and I 
don't, don't I didn't mean it to cut you off, but but I think this is sort of a significant part of your history because I've mentioned that you are part of this sort of secret society called the Model Geeks, and I am, the, and the 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 public manifestation of that, of course, is the podcast with Darren and Whitey and and Scott. But that extends outward to you and Justin Lentz. And you guys have kind of been a little crew for like a long time, right? We have. In fact, uh, I'm uh, Scott and I would actually be the, if you really want to go back the furthest back. Uh, well, it, it's hard to say. I'm not sure whether Scott and I met before uh, Justin and I met. But either way, we're talking about back to 93 uh, that this wow. this little group of us uh began and uh yeah it's still it's a it's a it's still a pretty small group and it, it, it you know it's funny it's not that uh uh i think that uh, we're deliberately making it exclusive or anything like that or you know that we don't want to include anyone but it uh we figured out that this group text that we have that we've had going continuously since 2012 there's a critical mass that it reaches where a group text just doesn't really work anymore and uh and uh yeah so the what what I would call the the core the core group of model model geeks is yeah it's a fairly small group of guys although you know we're happy to hang out with anybody <laughs> but uh, well clearly clearly yeah well if I haven't made that obvious <laughs> <laughs> we're glad we're glad we could get you to come slum with us for for a little while but but what I think is really cool and fascinating about the geeks is that I mean not not only are all of you guys really good craftsmen i mean i because i've seen work from from all five of you guys that i mentioned but you guys have clearly sort of fed off of each other and and developed your skills kind of in parallel i mean all of you guys have a, a pretty distinctive style that i kind of would call like the highest level of the ipms style sure. And I want to get yeah. into that a little bit later, but and that's not a that's that's not in any way a pejorative. I think all styles are valid, you know, as long as they're well executed. And you guys, I mean, that's that's the if if you want to be in the IPMS show thing and do that, you guys are the ones that sure. are sort of setting the standard. And I know this because <laughs> I saw it in, I, I saw it in person because. <laughs> At the San Antonio show where you and I met in person, you had what, like five out of six? You scored yeah, I think, a medal. Yeah, I think with? I did. Isn't that um, right? Yeah, it was a good. It was a good year. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I was hoping we would talk about that at some point. Uh, I'm not as good at the adjectives as you are, Will, but uh, not not to uh, <laughs> you know, and not not to uh, downplay or not to uh, badmouth any specific style or uh, approach to modeling. But you do bring up a good point. I think the, uh, the 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 group of us and the geeks, you know, we all we all kind of grew up in the hobby with a heavy IPMS influence. We'll call it that. And um, you know, and I was working in a hobby shop and teaching people to build models back when uh, weathering first started to be a mainstream thing. A fad, uh, not to say <laughs> a fad. Yeah, I'd say uh, you know, and in fact. In fact, you could look into my uh, display case. Uh, it's hard to see here. I've got I've got models here from. Uh, I can't get the thanks to cables. Uh, I've got models in there uh, from. Uh, no kidding. Uh, when I was still in high school, and uh, before I even started weathering models, and then you could you can honestly, if you look through my various display cases, you could see the progression. 
but yes, a uh, probably the common theme through there is I'd say from your perspective, I probably do uh, uh, build mostly in what you might call the IPMS style, um, and, and it's not on purpose. Uh, I think it's a it's a it's a product of uh, you know who you who your uh, mentors are as you learn to build models and learn to do new things and, and develop your own style. Uh, but based on who, uh, who, you know, influences you in the process. Absolutely. And, and I think style, I, I'm just fascinated by, by, by it. And maybe that comes from my photography background. I don't know, but I think that styles are a thing. I think that the way that they evolve and kind of, you know, coalesce, I think is kind of fascinating and, you know, my limited IPMS experience led me to realize that there is what I call loosely an IPMS style. I, I, you know, it, it, it to me is sort of characterized by just really, really tight work overall, but there's just a certain look to it. And, and I, I, maybe this is a good point to sort of quiz you about like how you define that style and how you develop yeah. that look with your work, which we're going to get, we're sure. going to look at some pictures of your stuff. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, but by me saying, you know, I probably build an IPMS style. Uh, this is probably, this conversation here is probably the first time I've ever actually used that term IPMS style ever. But, you know, you bring it up, uh, uh, it, you know, we all know that uh, in general, uh, you know, th- that what people consider the IPMS style is is probably based uh, mostly upon the gr- the judging criteria that are used in a contest. Of course, that being said, let me back up, and you know, I think we we all need to ask ourselves, you know, why are you building your model? Some people build because they want to win trophies. Um, you know, some people could not give a shit whether they win a trophy or not. Uh, and I personally, you know, I absolutely do not build for contests. That being said, um, I, of course, as I'm building, I probably do ask myself, you know, as I'm reaching a decision point or if there's something that, uh, you know, you know, should I fix that or should I not? Sure. What's going to pop into my head is, well, what would a judge think of that? Um, again, not because I really care what a judge thinks, but I try to look at the model through a judge's eyes, um, in my process of deciding what I should do and not do. Um, mostly when we talk about fixing mistakes or how well you're going to address something on a model, uh, Tracy, you're going to say something. Yeah. I mean, to me, it brings up, you know, too often whenever we bring up IPMS style versus yeah. a, a weathered style. It's about where they part ways. It, it's about the differences in them. But I think you're bringing up something really good as you're building the model. You when you spot something that is incorrect or could be done better, um, it, it seems to be less about what style you build for. Right. If you're building for a contest, to are are you what kind of modeler are you? Are you a modeler who, like, if the landing gear are not straight, like, it, it doesn't matter what exactly on the eventual aircraft should look like, that should bother you right there, right? That you, you if you're really pushing yourself to be a better modeler, then you just can't live with something that's fixable. That's exactly right. It's, it's nice to like to talk about the commonalities that both quote unquote schools of modeling have. Like they're both based on personal progression 
and and being a better model builder. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. It's about making, you know, each time you do it, hopefully is going to be a little bit better than the last, at least in my mind. Um, (laughs) Some some models will fight you on that, but yeah. Sure. Well, and, 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 and frequently you're not going to, you're not going to achieve that. You know, you're going to finish one and go, wow, that last one was much better. Although the, the goal (laughs) was for the each next one to be executed at least, at least a little bit better than the previous one. And maybe that's possible if you build exactly the same kit every single time. But like if you, you know. if you build twenty seven Churchills, oh Chris, Chris, sure, yeah, who might that be? Hey, no. he does listen to us. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. If you look, if you looked at my display case, you'd say that about Hasegawa A four Skyhawks. I got seven out there right now. So, <laughs> so go. So you don't need the instructions no, for that. No, yet. not at all. Uh, I do a similar thing. Uh, I I stop myself and say, would I be happy to put this on a contest table? And it's not because of what the judges might think of it, but what I'm really saying is, uh, would I be happy for that to well? represent me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah the that's best that's, I can that's, do? that's probably yeah. a much better yeah. way to put it. It's not. It's not that uh, exactly. It's not. It's not. You know, uh, as I as I you know paint a little detail in the cockpit or 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 add a detail here or there. What would the judges think? But that's a good point. It's how would I feel about putting this on a contest table? I didn't build it for the contest table. Uh, I built it for my display case because I want uh, I want an example of this subject in my display case. That's why I'm building it. But how would I feel about sharing that uh, with the masses and putting it on a contest table and allowing the judges to look at it? And um, you know what's interesting for me, it's got nothing to do with the weathering or lack of weathering. Um, it's got to do with the quality of the workmanship. Um, it's uh, and and whether you like to weather the shit out of your models, or whether you like to not weather them at all, or somewhere in between, which is probably where I am. You know the the <laughs> okay. I'm not going to use the I'm not going to use the the B word. Uh, the execution of the fundamentals should be <laughs> yes. should be rock solid. <laughs> And, and the goal should be to be flawless in the execution of those fundamentals. Right. Uh, you know, uh, no matter what, uh, say, if you want to go into a discussion of, uh, you know, which way, what should be the higher priority with judging? Should it be, should it be the fit and alignment and stuff? Or should it be the more artistic side? Should we call it artistic? I don't know if that's the right word, but the finish. But of course, within finish, Okay, we can you can weather the shit out of it. Well, the, uh, in fact, uh, Will, I think you've 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 talked about you know some people uh, will talk about things being over weathered when it's not necessarily over weathered, but it's poorly weathered. Uh, right. You know, a model can be poorly weathered and not be over weathered. It could be over weathered. Now, now, there's no such thing as over weathering because that's that's a that's. I don't think there's any such thing as over weathering because that's your call as the model maker, you know, how you want your model to look. Now yes, we need a, put, we need a little sound effect thing that says, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to need but, it. You know, a lot, we're going to need it a lot for this conversation. Yeah. So, you know, you know, no, I don't weather the shit out of most of my models. I don't, but I don't have a problem with people who do because that's completely, that's a completely subjective thing as far as how much is enough, how much is too much. Um, but the question is your craftsman, you know, how well right. do you do it? 
Right. There are certain aspects of it that are objectively about execution. Yeah. Regardless of, of anything else. And I, I love this because this is kind of what I coming around of what I was hoping it would, you know, there's this certain group of people who seem to think that there's this binary choice that either right. you're going to build it well or you're going to paint it well. And, and, and in, you know, painting, I include the weathering part. And I, I love everything you're saying because what I, what I hear is you're not making that choice. All of it is about craftsmanship. Right. What, what particular parts of it you choose to emphasize are a subjective and personal choice, but you're not, you know, you, you may say, well, okay, I'm not going to take this to a contest. And so I'm not going to worry if this wheels just slightly out because I know how hard it's going to be to fix. But on the other hand, you may say, you know what? I can't live with that because I want to be a good craftsman. I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow that. And the contest thing is just sort of an incidental deal. Right. And, and, and I, I hope people are hearing that, that it's that, it, that, that no matter what your approach is or how you look at it, that it really is just all about the, the execution and the craftsmanship. It really is, you know, and and I hate to I hate to hear uh, when folks uh, say they go to a show. And I think this happens more with people who are less experienced with going to shows and competing. Uh, I think I think competing in, uh, in shows is, 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 an, is a great thing. Not because of winning trophies, but because of the exposure you get to other people's workmanship and styles and the, the opportunity to share these things with each other. But what I hate, what I really hate to hear is when people go and they say, oh, you know, they don't agree with the judge's decision. And they do that. Well, look how much better weathered mine is than that one. But he knocked me out because this is out of alignment. Well, you know what? I'll agree with you. Yeah, your finish is better. But today, those judges decided that, you know, alignment was better or was more important, probably mostly because it's an objective thing that they can judge uh, without getting into the realm of of judging people for their personal style, you know, and it gives it just gives them a list of things that they could judge everyone equally on, you know, and I think that's the reason it's gone the way it has, at least in the IPMS Realm. I have not been to an amps style uh, contest with amps uh, or anything like that, so I, I I have yet to experience that. Um, one of these days, I'll get the time to do it. But I hate to hear that when folks say, "Ah, well, mine was painted better than his." Well, yeah, it, it probably was. But today, in this in this, you know, at least in the format that uh, most of these contests are uh, are set up under, that you know. There's a specific set of criteria that they judge based on that they make a priority. And and even though even though I am probably a bit notorious for talking shit about judging as a whole, <laughs> as as philosophies, <laughs> I totally agree with that because as a as a former motorcycle racer, you know, if you go to the track and you get and you get smoked and then you start whining about the track, the you know right your fellow racers are going to be looking at you like, bro, you made the choice to come to this race and we right. all raced on the same track. You know, it is what it is. And, and so, I, I, you know, believe it or not, I do sympathize with that. And, and the differences in philosophies really kind of come down to the details. I personally believe in a more holistic sort of view of, of each, you know, of the, of the work as opposed to a chronological view. But 
that's the way that it's evolved. Those are the conditions. And they're not necessarily bad. I mean, look, I, you know, like, like you were talking about thinking in terms of, of, of whether or not you want to put a model on the table at a contest. Like I'm going to take my Hornet to the thing in Omaha and I fully expect to get no results, but I'm not going to make it easy for them. You know? Sure. I'm not going to, because that's just not my nature. You know, I <laughs> I extracted the gun sight out from under the windscreen, which was near suicidal because it had a glue spot on it. And that was horrible. But I would have I would have done that regardless under the circumstances that it happened because I know it would have bothered me. And the contest thing is incidental. I just right. feel better about it. Okay, I've increased my... I, I've reduced my odds of getting nothing by one percent, so I feel okay. I feel a little. I feel a little better about that. You know? Yeah. Well, the, that hut is a perfect example of you know, and and I hadn't caught it in any, any of your previous photos, but then when you showed that just the other day, showed the close up, I looked at it. And I went, "Oh yeah, that would drive me nuts." <laughs> yeah. And that and that's horrible. exactly that's exactly why you did it because you would not want to put that. You know, not, and it's not only the contest table, you know, but one thing you wouldn't want to put it on a contest table and leave that out there for the judges to pick apart when you know that there's an error like that yeah. on the model, you know, and it's, uh, so it's not just about the judges. It's also about you. You don't want to look at it knowing that the, the error is yeah, there. Yeah. It would, it, it would have bothered yeah. me forever. Well, of all the people that it does bother, it's going to bother you the most because mm-hmm. you spotted it on your model yep, and you right, will never be able right. to unsee it. It'll it'll be the first thing yep. you see every time you look at that model. And if you put hundreds of right. hours into that model. Right, yeah. with all the time you put into everything else. Yeah. But even though the contest thing is incidental in that case, I'm, I'm grateful for it because – so the, you guys have heard my horror story about the canopy. Had I not – gotten the spare sprue because i had to for the canopy and ended up with some spare gun sight parts i might not have pushed myself to do that had i not been thinking in contest terms you know i was like all right well i'm gonna go to this thing i don't want to make it easy for them and oh i've got now spare gun sight parts so this is stupid but i'm gonna do it so why not fix it Exactly. And so I, I, I really believe that whatever it is that causes you to push yourself is to the good. And in this case, it happens to be the fact that, you know, the contest thing was part of that. But I, I, I just, you know, I don't believe that good craftsmen are operating in this binary thing. It's, it's a spectrum. Like you go, okay, what can I live with? What are the risks? What's the, you know, what are the consequences? What can I live with? And, you know, you, 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 you you do what, what feels right, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So let's talk about, let's talk about, uh, your, the, the, this, your style a little bit more in detail. Okay. I mean, we're at that, you know, we're at a good spot because, because, you know, what, what I've always loved about your work is just, and I, you know, and I got a firsthand look at it in, at the show is just how incredibly tight Everything is. I mean, your paint is perfect. Your construction is perfect. Um, and we're going to put a bunch of pictures up on the page so that everybody else can see it. So you will be exposed. <laughs> no worries. And I, you're, you're, I apologize. I have not. I have never set up an actual photo setup. You know, one of these days I might. But, of course, it's the uh, it's not an aspect of the hobby that uh, I enjoy or that I want to take a lot of my time to do. 
Um, so, Will, I know you're a you're big on taking really good photos, and uh, I'll admit I've had I've taken some photography classes, and I probably know better in a lot of cases, but. Um, so I'm going to apologize for the quality of the photos. Uh, most of them are taken with my phone. The only thing you have to apologize for is the blue background, but you know, <laughs> not, we can't have everything, yeah. right? No, that's what's funny is, is, you know, Will forwarded us the photos and I, I looked through all of them and my, my first was my, literally my <laughs> words to Will were, damn, that's tight. Um, but I, it never I was looking at the models. I wasn't looking at the background. And now that I'm scrolling through them again, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of them on a cutting mat, aren't there? Like, it just, I, I was so focused on the models that I wasn't paying attention to the, necessarily the background oh. as much. So <laughs> I, I'll give you a little more forgiveness than Will will. Yeah, I, and, and thank you. If, if, uh, the, uh, <laughs> if uh, my models are actually distracting you from the background, then I guess that's the goal. But yeah, and, and I appreciate I appreciate you guys both using the, the term tight with because I, I guess that's probably. In general, my my biggest goal is to keep things tight. It, it's the, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, a clean finish. Not meaning not weathered, but meaning, um, you know, nothing I hate more than uh, rough paint finishes and debris in the paint and uh, and uh, you know. But um, so my style. Um, I'll tell you what, I don't enjoy weathering at all, but I don't want to not weather my models. Um, I just recently uh, came to this realization that I think while I'm, I think I'm pretty good at painting. Um, oh, you're better my, than pretty good. Uh, uh, the, the, the portion of the process I enjoy the most, honestly, is construction. Um, I, I absolutely just love putting tons and tons of time <laughs> into uh, fit and finish of, you know, the way things go together and trying to get that to be as tight and as close to perfect as I can get things like, you know, the fit of the, of, of things. And, uh, of course the, uh, you know, replacing panel lines that are lost in the process. Um, and I will spend, I, I couldn't tell you how many hours I spent on this growler, same kit as the super Hornet, just with a few extra parts. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk going, in detail yeah. about that because we're yeah we're sharing experience. Sure. So there. we'll we'll push that off. Yeah, but uh, you know because part of what I enjoy is 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 figuring out how to make things fit as well as I possibly can before I actually put glue to it, and uh, to where then the the backside of that the the seam work uh, becomes hopefully nearly unnecessary, other than. You know, just cleaning up a glue joint and maybe restoring a, a, a lost panel line or two. Um, so that's probably what I enjoy the most. But as far as you know, you, you're asking about my style. I would say, uh, like I said, it's it's not that I don't want to weather my models, but that's the part of the finishing process I, for whatever reason, enjoy the least. So uh, I tend to be somewhat mechanical about my weathering. It is more of a generic weathering versus a reproducing um specific things that i see in specific photos not to say i don't if i see it if i see something that's happening on an airplane in a photo i may try to re replicate that on the model but in general i uh, i try to approach my weathering in more of a general term and, and it's just a sort of an amalgamation of what i see in my own career working around airplanes 
generally the way airplanes weather and not not necessarily specific things from a specific airplane but you know uh with the general um way you know where do you generally see staining or streaking yeah. and things it's what like that I, it's what i would and, I, and again i don't know if this is any better of a of a term than ipms style honestly i i use that because i just don't know what else to call it but but what you do is kind of what i would call an illustrative style where yeah. you're saying hey look this is an exhaust pipe i'm going to illustrate that by doing a thing you know by doing an effect here that that, that tells that story, so to speak, sure. as opposed to like getting into like the micro level of some dude walked across this and made some boot prints. Yeah, and, right. You know, but, but it's again, and, and it's even more so to your point earlier, execution really becomes important when you do it that way. I mean, you've got no place to hide. It's just right there and it's gotta be, it's gotta be tight. Sure. You know, and, and, and not to say that I don't enjoy looking at other styles. I tell you what, I'm looking at John Chung's Hornet that he's doing right mm-hmm. now. And you want to talk about exactly replicating yeah. specific streaks and handprints. I mean, it's incredible. And he's not over, he's not overdoing it. He's perfectly doing it. Yeah. Um, it's just insane. Yeah, he's got such a balanced touch. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and, and perhaps, you know, my illustrative style, I think that's a good way to put it, is... Uh, it stems from where my interest is, you know, uh, you know, some folks, you know, your passion is looking at the weathering like you will, you know, you absolutely, uh, for back of, lack of a better, you get off on looking at the weathering, weathering oh, on these airplanes. That's, uh, that's not, that's, that's not the wrong term. It's, it's and, an obsession. Yeah. And, uh, and, and not to say that, you know, <laughs> Hey, I look at, at photos of, of airplanes that are weathered. I'm like, Holy crap, look at that. Oh, wow. That's interesting. But that's not the aspect of the subject that interests me the most. For me, um, uh, I, I I tend to pick subjects that I well, I you know it's specific subjects that I'm specifically um, interested in or fascinated by, and then I will you'll see that I will try to build every version of that airplane with all the different weapons loads. That it could possibly go, you know, carry um, to to illustrate the differences between all the very the evolution of an airframe, for instance, um, to where you know my my focus is on the differences, the physical differences between these different uh, versions and configurations. And to me, the the weathering it's necessary to you know I don't want to I don't want to have a Franklin Mint you know diecast airplane sitting in my display case. Um, you know, I do want to, I do want to represent how they do get beat up in service and dirty and worn, uh, at the same time, that's not my focus. You know, my focus is more on the differences between the versions or, or, uh, as I said, the different loadouts for different missions or things like that. That's what fascinates me and what I want to show in my display case when I put all my models in there. Well, it's almost like there's... You know, as as our buddy Chris Becker always says, it's almost like there's different hobbies. You know, we yeah. we each pursue this thing for for our own reasons, and it's based on what you know, on on what on what interests us. But I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Um, nor was I surprised to hear you tell me that your educational background is is technical, because I suspect that you probably have pretty detailed knowledge of all the subjects you build, right? Yeah, and even the ones I don't start out with detailed knowledge of i try to i try to get it 
<laughs> get there. Yeah, and, and it yeah. was perfect. It was perfectly illustrated the other day when one of the guys on SMCG was uh, showing his work in process of a hornet that he's depicting as as either landing or taking off. And so the the gear leg, the main gear legs are extended, and he was fussing about the angle of the axle on the wheels. Mm-hmm relative to everything else and you chimed in and and I, I loved it because you know you pointed out the fact that the entire end of the landing gear also rotates to keep the axle basically aligned with the rest of the airframe and how all the linkages cooperate with that yeah. and I was like okay I can kind of see into Gabe's head right now yeah well and, and and the thing is you can't make all that happen with when you just you know, cut off and move one part on a right. model. You can't make all those other linkages. Well, I guess you could try, but they're not going to do it on their own, you know? So, yeah. And as a, as an engineering guy, that would stop me from even trying. I, I would be like, nope. <laughs> well, of course you just yeah. 3D it. Of course. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. You would, you'd 3D new, new linkages and everything. Just, if that was your True. aircraft and that's what you wanted to show, don't <laughs> that, even play like that yeah, would stop that's, you. That's of course, true. what it turns out is, in a, and of course, I came back to my my bench after you know looking through as you know because at first I was trying to figure out okay why is it working that way on that model part that and then came to the realization that the way Meng and you wouldn't notice it if you didn't try to articulate that thing, yeah. but it turns out the. Uh, uh, the knuckle there for, I can't remember what we really called it, but the knuckle between the upper and lower strut, it turns out the angle of that knuckle on the kit part is wrong. It's, uh, it's, yeah, I can believe you know, it, it should actually be parallel to the ground. You know, when the airplane is sitting on the ground, turns out that knuckle should be parallel to the ground and perpendicular to the, to the longitudinal axis of the airplane. Whereas all Meng did is they just, they just made it, essentially just a right angle at the end of each strut and just mm-hmm. molded it that way. Nobody, no one would probably notice that until they try to articulate it and then realize that nothing else works out. Um, but, uh, you know, I never noticed it and all my time around Hornets. I never noticed that that knuckle was parallel to the deck. Never did, you know, but you know, in the process of looking at a guy building a model, I suddenly realized that and think, huh, well, I guess that makes sense that it would be, <laughs> you know, but just never really cared what angle it was, because <laughs> it just worked. well that that brings me to a quest to to a question that I want to ask as we sort of maybe transition into talking about the Hornet kit specifically because I'm looking at a photo and I really this is one that I that that we might not otherwise include in your in your album, but but it's important to this question. Uh, I'm looking at this picture of the Growler that you're working on, yep, and. It's the cockpit picture where we can see the back wall of the front seat. Uh, And there's this thing that looks like a half of a tank or something. And dude, dude, your, your, uh, your washes or your black lining, I'm not sure what to call it. I have never seen anything so crisp and precise. And I'm, I'm jealous. I straight up want to know how you did that. Well, one of one of those might actually be the actual printing on the Quinta, because there's. I mean, I'm trying to scroll back through my photos. Uh, is that is the oh, back wall? Is the back wall of it? the cockpit a a? Because you, I know you oh, use yeah. Quinta Studio applications yeah, those... for the for the instrument panels. Yeah, I can't take credit for that. That is actually the Quinta Studio uh, aft bulkhead 
piece. Okay, so it's printed as printed. Like that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's good. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's. I I noticed. I noticed the same thing whenever we were scrolling through the pictures. That that picture right there right? stopped me. I was like, oh, damn, that's uh, tight. Yeah, how do I do that? Look at that wash. Yeah, like, as much as I'd like oh. to take credit for that, I can't. But <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've, nope. I, 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 that's you know that props to you for for being you know for being honest about it. But but I've seen enough of your work to know that your washes are super tight. So what's kind of your general way that you do them? Because I am, I'm, I'm jelly. So uh, uh, I've kind of got two different things uh, for washes. One is what I do in the in say in the deep recesses of cockpits and sidewalls, and then the other is and uh, cockpit tubs and then and wheel wells, and the other would be the way I do a panel line wash. And uh, they used to be the same um, for years and years. All I did was uh, use artist oils and uh, turpenoid. And, uh, I don't, I, I wouldn't even call it a, a mixing up a wash. Some folks think you need to mix up a wash. That's this homogenous, uh, solution and you run it through, but I don't do that. I, I typically have a, a blob of, uh, uh, well, blobs. I've usually got like uh, raw umber and uh, lamp black and maybe some, uh, some white and maybe even a gray blob of paint on a piece of cardboard. And then I've got a little, uh, usually a, a water bottle cap full of turpenoid. Uh, and for for folks who don't know what turpenoid is, it's a turpentine substitute. We can get it at Hobby Lobby here. It's probably similar to odorless spirits or in other places, things like that. Well, I gotta I gotta raise the paint chemistry flag. Um, it is it is they call it a turpentine substitute to make it easy for traditional right. painters to 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 identify what it's for. But it's actually, as far as I understand, nothing more than 100% odorless mineral spirits. Okay. So I suspected that. Yeah, they were just smart enough to put a brand name on it. Uh, but it, but, but it's, I don't think it's any different than like, than like Sands Odor from Windsor and Newton. Okay. Or, or Mona Lisa odorless mineral spirits. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty good, pretty common stuff. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, usually I got, you know, the blobs of those different colors of artist oils and uh, a little uh, bottle cap full of, uh, full of turpenoid. And, uh, usually I'm, you know, wet, wet in the brush and the, in the turpenoid and dabbing it in the, uh, in the, uh, the oils and maybe going back into the turpenoid to get it a little, to turn it more like a wash. And then I'm, you know, I'm dabbing with, you know, the, the brush with whatever combo of oil paint that I've that I've, you know, put on the brush and, and doing my panel lines. And that used to be the way I do in the recesses of cockpits and wheel wells and such. When you're doing panel lines do you, or anything, do you pre, do you prime the surface with, with a little bit of mineral spirits like some guys do? Do you like pre, pre you know, wet that? I, you know, I, I never have. I'm not saying, not saying it's not a good idea. I just never have. Uh, maybe I need to try that. Um, I, and I, I do I don't, occasionally I don't do streaking either, I do. I, yeah, I don't. I typically don't either, but I've seen some things that make me wonder if I should. So that's why I asked. Sure, you know, and um, you know, of course, this brings in the uh, you know people say, do you do a pin wash or a sludge wash? <laughs> I, I hate. I absolutely hate both of those terms because a pin wash, what people call pin wash, to me has nothing to do with a pin. Um, <laughs> so why is it a pin wash? Um, yeah. And a sludge wash, uh, I don't know. To me, that means I've got a a. a cup full of some sort of sludge that I'm smearing all over my model and uh and that's not accurate either but that being said I 
I don't necessarily only let it draw through capillary action only in the panel line or only in the recess, uh, especially on the surface, because then part of my weathering process to, to where I at least try to replicate some of the, the staining that happens is, you know, it comes kind of along with my panel line wash. As I'm wiping it, I try to wipe, you know, the excess excess in the direction of the airflow on the airframe. And you know, if it ends up creating a streak that uh, that uh, could replicate something that's happening on a real airplane, I may leave it. Um, if not, I keep rubbing and, and, and wiping until it comes off. Um, so I'm probably somewhere in between what if you want to put labels on pin washes and sludge washes, I'm probably somewhere in between because the surface of my model looks really damn messy somewhere halfway through the process of removing the excess. Um, but, uh, I'm not deliberately smearing it all over the airplane. Um, but that being said, I think, uh, the fact that I do a lot of my shading and fading, um, so I generally paint with lacquers. Um, and then I generally do a lot of my shading and fading with, uh, uh, well, what people commonly call acrylics, uh, the, uh, whether it be Tamiya, uh, the Tamiya acrylics or the, the, uh, Gunzi aqueous, um, uh, or something like that. But what, what the result is neither of those paints is necessarily, um, dissolved by the turpenoid. They're both, they both hold up to the turpenoid, but, but each one absorbs and retains, uh, the, that oil paint that I'm applying in a different way. So mm -hmm. what I do find is the, whatever fading and shading and, and stuff like that I've done before my wash, that the wash will adhere differently to each of those, types of paint, which then somehow it, it was just to, to me, it starts to, to look like the way, uh, uh, frequently, not always, but, uh, that airplanes do get dirty, um, because of where I'm applying my shading, my, my shading happens to be where you'll typically see dirt, uh, accumulating. And then the, the oils, uh, tend to accumulate a little bit more and, uh, in the same areas. And at least it's a result that, uh, I feel good about, you know, I don't, it is, is it, is it accurate? I, I don't know. It looks pretty good to me. It does. Uh, but it, it looks it looks great. And so. you said something about your cockpit, like those type of things being different now than your panel line stuff. So talk about that. For a second. Yeah. So uh, I've I've become a big fan of the uh, that the the uh, the uh, the magic wash that people you know with using the uh, the fifty fifty mix of one of the few things I will still use future for. Is the 50-50 uh, mix of future and water with uh, some Tamiya acrylic, uh, usually some some flat black and some red brown, and yeah, you, know, you could tint it with any other color you want, but that's kind of right. the base, flat black and red brown, and uh, with that 50-50 uh, future and water mix, and um, uh, yeah, uh, and that stuff's just you know it it is in some ways magic because all the things that I would fight when of trying to apply the oil wash to a wheel well, for instance, with trying to get it to actually accumulate where you want it to and not where you don't want it. Somehow that magic wash mix kind of does that on its own for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, something about the, the way that yeah. it flows and you can use other acrylic clears. Like I use aqua gloss as the base when I make my magic wash. Okay. And, it, yeah. and, it, and it's still, it's still, I, so it, but there's something in there. I usually will add a little bit of like flow improver. Um, but it, it has this weird property of creating a graduated shadow just yeah. naturally. Right. 
And so it yep. has a real sort of distinctive look to it that I like. Um, and, you know, there's tricks that you can use to manipulate it. But what's kind of cool about it is that in a lot of situations, you don't have to. You just yep. put it on and, 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 you're, and, you're, and you're good if you like that look. Sure. Yeah. And somehow, it, I don't know how it does it, but it does, uh, for the most part, achieve the look that I'm trying to go for, especially in wheel wells. And uh, again, uh, as far as cockpits go, I'm talking about the deep down recesses, like down in the foot wells. And maybe maybe if you've got sidewalls that have got uh, heavy relief on them, uh, does a pretty good job there. Um, you know, especially for someone like me who you know, I don't get off on the on the weathering process. I really don't. Um, uh, again, not, th- not that I have anything against it. It's just not the part of the process I enjoy. So I, I'm looking for ways to get through that portion of the build process as quickly and efficiently as possible to get onto the stuff I really do enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot to be said for having a process that you can count on. Well, it's consistent. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's part of craftsmanship, right? I mean you've developed like the the right tools to give you the the effects that you want, right? That are pleasing to you and, and give you the right, uh, you know, exactly. So then you can move, you on. know, and and that also also you know, and each of us is at a different point in our in our journey within this hobby and our lives, and and honestly, I, I you know, and maybe this is my version of a midlife crisis, but I you know I'm. Uh, I'm reaching the point when I'm looking around going, holy crap, I continue to accumulate models, every one of which I want to build, but I'm buying them at a rate of about 10 times the rate I build them. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and we, you know, we've all talked about this. You, you, I've got the, the last time I, in my garage, it's right over here. Uh, the last time I counted, which was about 15 years ago, I had 500 model kits. Oh. Um, and I've continued to buy them. At a rate much higher than I'm building, and uh, you know, now will I ever build all of them? Will I build a tenth of them? No, I won't. But uh, wait a minute, I I need to get a little bit better at finishing things um, to at least you know, if I want to compile a list of the uh-huh. of the bucket list models I want to have in my case before I die, even to finish that list, um, you know, I need to get a little bit more efficient. So uh, you know, I'm of course also looking. Not that I want to sacrifice my craftsmanship. I don't want to sacrifice the quality of my work, but I got to get better at doing it efficiently. Um, and things like that magic wash are one of those things. Are there better ways to better replicate exactly the way? Well, again, not exactly. Again, that's a judgment call to better replicate the way things really look inside a, a cockpit or a wheel. Well, sure there are, but is it worth, you know, is the juice worth, worth the squeeze? Eh, I, I, you know, <laughs> At this point in my life, uh, maybe not. <laughs> so, well, it's. I mean, look, that's that's a hundred percent valid. I, I, and I, I mean, I know those feels because I'm in that struggle. I have been for a couple of years because, like, with washes, and this is why I'm kind of focused on this and, and so jealous of what you're doing because, because I like I want my washes to be tight. Like, I it annoys the shit out of me when I have like an incomplete panel line or you know, an area where the wash is not consistent. And that's just something that I have a hard time. My, you know, level of OCD or whatever you want to call it, it just bugs the shit out of me. And I will end up fighting with a, with an enamel or an oil wash like you were talking about, 
where you put it you put it on and then you think, oh, I need to adjust that right there. And the next thing you know, it's two hours and a sore back later <laughs> because you've just been pushing it around. And, you know, the very fact that mineral spirits gives you that freedom with oils and enamels is also right. it's the path to hell. And and right. I, I like the I like the magic wash because in certain situations, I mean, like the gear bays of the Hornet are a pretty good example where I looked at that and I'm like, okay, I want a pretty high contrast look a little higher than, than I normally go for. And yeah. with all of because Ming did a really nice job of molding all of the, the hydraulic lines and cables and things in there, but it's still not real. Right. It's still right. largely, largely fiction. And so it's a judgment call. What do I want to do to make it, you know, look cool for me? Right. And I knew I wanted a high contrast look, but I knew with that white base color that I was going <clears> to <throat> be fighting an enamel wash for days. And right. so I, I punted, I said, sweet magic wash. And I slathered it in there. And I was like, 90% stoked, even though there were a couple of places where, where it did things that I might not have totally been cool with. And I worked it a little bit. I was like, okay, this gives me the overall look. It's on the fucking bottom. Nobody's right. going to see it. And that's the other thing. You know, it's the balance between, I know it's there, you know, and I've, I've heard you guys you use the term, you know, but, but I know it's there. Uh, nobody else will see it, but I know it's there. Well, but there is a balance, you know, <laughs> this, yeah. this, you know, you know, whatever model I'm working on right now, uh, you know, yeah, it'll probably go to a show or two. I, I have, I have a personal rule that I, I only take, if I finish a model, I only take it to shows for one year and then it's retired. So, uh, and, and if I only, if, if I see, if I go to one show that year, it's going to go to one show. If I go to every show in Texas that year, great. It's going to see every show in Texas. But after one year, it goes in my display case. And no one is ever going to look in those wheel wells again once it goes in my display case. I might not even ever work, you know, uh, if, except for maybe when I take them out to dust them. But, uh, you know, yeah, but then I, I probably I, still I, won't look in the wheel well. Yeah. I, I know it's there becomes less and less of a reasonable justification as time goes by sure. for me. Yeah, and and you know, and I'm and I'm probably even worse than you. I despise ever having to touch a model again after I've photographed it, and and f having to bring it back to the bench. Fuck that. I mean, yeah. Like when I was getting ready to go to the San Antonio thing, and I decided I was going to take my F four. I knew it had a loose horizontal stabilizer and, and the process of fixing that resulted in me breaking two or three other things. Right. And I'm just like, this is bullshit. Why am I doing this? Right. So yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I fully sympathize with those motivations. Absolutely. But then it's like, for me, it's, you said earlier about the craftsmanship and I don't care if no one will see it. It's part of the craftsmanship yeah. for me. I do it all because it's yeah. That's you know, what matters. Yeah, part of doing a good right. job. What is it that's fulfilling yeah. for you? That's that's really all that matters. What's uh, I mean, it's interesting. Like, Gabe, how much detailing isn't quite the right word. How much how much work do you do making a kit as accurate as possible? Um, it probably depends on the subject, um, and it depends on how uh, how visible that 
inaccuracy is. Uh, you know, maybe perhaps a good example would be the slat wells on an A4 Skyhawk. Uh, you know, you, you know, you can, there's nothing wrong with taking a Hasegawa A4 Skyhawk kit and just building it straight out of the box and uh, nothing wrong with that. And, and heck, you know, doing a nice job with, with solid craftsmanship and putting it on a contest table. So one thing that irritates me a lot is the first guy that walks up and says, Oh, you know, really nice job, but you didn't fix the slat wells. <laughs> okay. Well, per- perhaps the guy that built that model didn't even know there was anything wrong with the slat wells. There you go. So yeah. that's, that's the first thing. So accuracy wise, I don't think accuracy is a reason to judge the builder uh, or, or yeah, you know the, the the fact that someone doesn't correct something that's inaccurate is not a reason to judge someone uh, as having not built a good model. Uh, but uh, but that be, being said, I would be pushing the pushing the hallelujah button right now. Yeah, but that being said, if it's something you're passionate about and you know it's wrong, well, why not fix it? Um, so for me, every single A Four Skyhawk build I may I make is you know I am fixing the slat well. And I've got a pretty good system to do it now. Uh, the first, you know, it's, it's it can be cumbersome the first couple of times, and now now I'm, I'm I can knock it out pretty quick. But you know, I will never build a Hoskow A4 Skyhawk without fixing the slat wells because it's one of those things that bothers me to see that it's wrong. But I will never criticize someone for not fixing it. Um, so that's kind of my mentality on it. Um, I'm trying to think. It- uh, so, well, and it, it's probably one of the reasons though, why I have not ever, since I flew F-18s, I have not yet finished a model of the version of the F-18 that I, I flew. I haven't. And of course that's, that's the problem. You know, the subject too well, right? um, mm-hmm. therefore every little thing that's not exactly right is going to drive you nuts. Now, that being said, I've, I've promised my 16 year old son. That before the year is out, I will build a model of one of the airplanes I flew. So I'm going to build one, and and maybe I've been away from them long enough to where it won't bother me so much. We'll see. Uh, does that answer your question, there, Tracy? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. curiosity, really. But it sounds like if you fix what bothers you, and and uh, the rest is reasonably accurate, you're okay with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I was listening to your, uh, your interview with, uh, Paul and Dave Parker and, and talking about that and, you know, and, and some, and some folks, you know, uh, well, Dave with his, uh, uh, with his latest project, you know, he was saying he absolutely could not live with knowing something was not exactly right, even if it was completely hidden and that's fine. You know, it's, if that's the way you feel about the subject, that's absolutely fine. You know, and the, and the guys, they talked about, you know, uh, you know, some, some folks would say you're lying, you're, you're lying to yourself if you don't fix something that you know is correct, no matter what. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, again, this is a, it, it's a hobby, you know, and it's yeah. and, and there's nothing wrong with fixing absolutely everything, but there's also nothing wrong with fixing nothing. Um, as long as you're getting out of the hobby, what you want to get out of it. Um, absolutely. I think I, I, I suspect that if you set both Dave and Paul down on the psychologist's couch and really got in their heads, <laughs> that maybe what you would find is that they're not even that concerned about the thing being exactly accurate as they love the challenge of solving the problem of making it accurate. Sure. And each one enjoys a different aspect of that. You know, obviously exactly. Paul enjoys the, you know, the shape, uh, which I probably lean a little bit, you know, I'm not 
the master scratch builder that uh, that either of them is. But uh, uh, although I enjoy scratch building at times, uh, but to me, you know, I'm I'm I. I'm, I probably lean more the way Paul does with, you know, it's about the shape, um, less about the internal details that someone may or may not see or know is there, and, but more about uh, what captures the essence of the subject itself uh, versus the little, uh, you know, the details deep inside the engine compartment of, of a tank, you know? Well, I mean, I think that that's pretty much encapsulates your style. Like it's, it's about the essence, like the, when you look at, one of your models, you want it to be representative of that airplane, uh, both yeah. in like how how accurate the alignment is, how tight the paint is. The weathering is also handled with a degree of craftsmanship that illustrates the way these things uh, lived and breathed. You know, and it it doesn't you know it doesn't take it to the extreme, but it's also well balanced. Like you've just established well, you. a really well balanced approach where, in the finished product, everything makes sense. Like you, you say you don't particularly enjoy weathering, but you've developed a way to be efficient at it. And in addition to being efficient, it's also uh, really effective at uh, communicating what you're trying to show. You know, the 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 life sure. of the airplane as you painted it. Um, yeah, that yeah, that's the goal. You know, like Will said, it's illustrative. In uh, in the way I do uh, look at at a lot of this hobby is, you know, we're building represent. We're not building perfect replicas. No matter how hard we try, we're not going to achieve a perfect re- replica. So to me, it's a representation. Uh, like you said, the, the representation is a good word for it. You know, of, it's not going to fly. A representation. Yeah. yeah, right. No, no matter right. how much detail you put into it, it's not going to fly. It's still no, a model. No. Right. Yeah. Unless 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 you're Guillermo Rojas Bazan or David Glenn, you don't have shit to say about building a perfect replica. I mean, it's <laughs> you know those guys are those guys are total outliers. And you know David Glenn cheats because it's one fifth scale. So you know if you've ever seen his his Spitfire book or or his Mustang book, and he spent ten years building the damn thing. And so yeah, right. It's one fifth scale, and you can legitimately use his model as a reference. But, you know, I just always laugh at guys who get so wrapped up about realism, but they're totally fine with the way that we have to mold a gear bay, for example, with a bunch of half round cylinders to represent hydraulic lines. Right. Exactly. Or a a canopy that's six inches thick. And so it just gets to be kind of silly. And I just like hearing a master craftsman like yourself say that, yeah, it really isn't that important because a lot of these guys who are not nearly as good at it as you are want to use it as a way to establish their own superiority and sure. they should just stop. So I, I, I really yeah. love, I really love, <laughs> <laughs> I loved, I love always. And that's one of the, my, been my, been one of my favorite things about everybody that we've interviewed on this podcast is all of you guys are really the highest level of craftsmanship and artistry that I think the hobby has produced. But you see this level of, 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 of humility is not really the right word for it, but sort of what I feel like is a, is a really well-balanced perspective of, of, of the hobby, as opposed to just being like totally obsessed, you know, with this thing or that thing and acting, you know, like, 
I, this is the thing that I do, and this makes me better than everybody else. You don't see any of that with the best guys. That's true. Uh, and I, and I hope, and I, I, I you know, I, I guess I'm fairly well accomplished at it. I, you know, I, I don't consider myself one of the best guys, although I, I, I don't consider myself uh, a beginner by any means, but, uh, but, but yeah, you're right. You know, and I, and I, I do hope that that's the way I come across. Uh, and I appreciate your kind words about my work. Uh, but, um, yeah, the, you know, and that, nothing breaks my heart more than, uh, well, maybe a few things more, but <laughs> one thing that does break my heart is to see a guy who puts just, just crazy amounts of work into detailing or accurizing or fixing things that are either wrong or adding detail that isn't there. And they're so proud of their work, adding the detail, but they haven't, uh, but you know, then their paintwork, uh, they, they're not able to execute the paintwork to match the, 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 the level of, of effort they put into the, uh, the scratch building of detail and such, um, or just construction of, of the model, you know, uh, you know, and not to harp on fit and alignment and things like that, but Hey, let's, let's, let's try to, let's, again, it's a well-rounded, it's a holistic idea of all this stuff. Let's, let's focus on, on everything, you know, let, let's, ideally the, the level of, of, of craftsmanship on any, every aspect of our hobby should be roughly equivalent. And, and if, you know, let's try to think how to, how to properly word this, you know, I get wanting to learn to do scratch building better, but man, you know, if you're going to put all that effort in there, let's, let's, let's put the effort in over here too, to make the whole package that match each other, you know, each, each part of the, of, of the, the project and the package match each other as far as the, uh, the, the quality of work and level of craftsmanship. And, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. Well, I, obviously I think all three of us would agree completely. And this makes me want to ask you because you've, and I wasn't planning to ask this is spur of the moment. So forgive me, but You've been an IPMS judge many, many yeah. times, right? Probably more times than you could count. So having been a competitor, having been a judge, gold, silver, bronze, open system, or one, two, three, and why? Oh, gosh. You know, I, <laughs> I wasn't sure where Will was going with this. It could have gone one of, one of two ways. And you know what? I think, I think all of them have their place and I'm not trying to, you know, keep everybody happy here, but there are folks who build, um, specific, you know, there are folks that build to win trophies that there, there are. Um, and I'll tell you what, I think, uh, (laughs) as much as I, I hate to say it and probably some IPMS buddies will, will, will not like me much for saying it, but the IPMS system lends itself to that. Uh, because it's very clear exactly what you need to do in that system to uh, to please the judges. Um, and there's also a point uh, if you go past that where you run a risk of eliminating yourself. Risk either, either by right. sure, absolutely. By the quali- like the quality, and, and I don't, I don't want to. I'm not being super disparaging or anything. I, I don't really care. But what I've seen with um, in some photos from IPMS shows is where, where some guys will try weathering and their weathering is 
the model would have been more attractive without it. Like yeah. the model was yeah, probably was... well bit, well painted, and then they tried to to take that next step, and they kind of it's detracted from the finish. Sure. So you know, in essence, uh, that judging system uh, or judging style almost discourages trying something new. Um, right. You know that you haven't that you haven't yet mastered. Um, I could see that that could be an argument against that. Of course, that being said, uh, under any judging uh, system, that specific type thing would probably cause you not to, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, do as well. Yeah. But, um, but, um, but I think there are greater rewards in some other judging systems for taking a chance, um, you know, with, uh, your finishing or your, your weathering, uh, well, finishing a weathering. When, when I say taking a chance with your finishing, it's going to be with weathering because the, you know, uh, executing a flawless, simply a flawless paint finish is not necessarily taking a chance. That's just mastering the craft of applying paint. Um, you know, whether but it's be, not even well, with it's, paint, it's, like, like, like Justin, Justin Lentz and I have talked frequently about the, the reality that if you're going to take your thing to an IPMS contest, like the last thing you really want to do is put like resin wheels on it. Cause yeah. we all know, we all know that the traps there and if you're a little sure. out of whack and the kit parts fit perfectly, that's really the better choice. Honestly. The kit parts will be the better choice because there are no points. There, there really technically are no points for adding anything extra to your model. Really, there aren't, um, which is good and bad. Um, you know, it, it, it some, from some perspectives, you know, it encourages simply the quality of it encourages you to focus simply on the quality of your work on what you're given in the kit, um, you know, which kind of brings, you know, what the whole having a separate out of the box category, because honestly, the best out of the box category winners would probably do well, at least theoretically, based on the way the judging is supposed to go, should actually do beat the non out of the box category uh, models if they're simply executed cleanly, you know, uh, you know, if everything is done perfectly perfectly meaning alignment fit finish you know as far as flaws in your finish uh things like that you know theoretically you're out of the box winner should be able to win the other category as well um so there technically are no points for adding detail but for some reason the modelers who compete in the normal category you know say your normal whatever you know whether you're 48 scale multi-engine jet and don't do it in the out of the box. They do tend to do better if you were to group them all together. But you know, I I, I don't know why that is. But uh, but it's true. You're you're taking chances by adding resin wheels or a resin cockpit or, or heck, cockpits really aren't. They, they don't you come. Can't even see technically. Them. Yeah, yeah, you can't <laughs> even see them. You know. So why do we do them? Because because we like to do them. Because you know, technically the judges probably don't. You know, they're not supposed to judge based on that. And. Most of them don't even look at it because they'll see other things that will set one model apart from another before you ever look inside the cockpit. That was my experience with with my with my one uh, attempt at judging so far. Is yeah, I mean, I I never honestly I never even got to the point where I was trying to look inside of a cockpit because, again, based on the system at hand, it, it was it did it wasn't a factor. Like like you know, right. we just didn't get to that point where it where it really mattered. 
but that kind of brings me back. I want to look at time and, and thinking about all the topics that I want to cover with sure. you. Yeah, we keep going wanna, off on tangents. No, it's all good, though. This is great stuff. Um, I, I want to come back to, because we are right now sharing experience on the Ming Hornet. And, yeah. And because I'm ugh, like, I'm like stuck at Tracy's favorite point mm-hmm. the 95 percent spot um <laughs> because of some because of some issues i'm curious overall you know what you think about the kit i know you're building the growler as opposed to the echo, yeah but, but it's mostly the same it's mostly the same um yeah i'm enjoying the crap out of it honestly um what's <laughs> the guy that just said that he needs to become more efficient and and part of that part of me thinks you know maybe i need to build nothing but tumia kits from now on um <laughs> except for except for the fact they don't make models of all the subjects i want to build uh you know you know then i'm building this and you know it's not it's not what i would call an easy model to build well but it's not an impossible model to put together well and this is purely from the uh, from the construction standpoint. Really, that's uh, because you know our finishing and, and such uh, should have nothing to do with what what kit you're building or what the subject is. But um, so, from my perspective, it's uh, it's it's taken a lot of uh, elbow grease. We'll call it that to <laughs> do lots and lots of test fitting, um, and thankfully, I'm. For me, I'm one of those guys that kind of enjoys that side of things. Uh, but, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I have squeezed together that upper and lower fuselage part, you know, because they got those pins. So they're, you know, they're a tight interference fit. So, you know, right. it, it virtually locks it together. But I can't tell you probably at least 100 times I push those pins in to look at fit and I work those pins back out at least 100 times. Uh, in addition to various other parts of it. Um, so overall, I actually love this kit. I really do because, um, I think, uh, I think it captures the lines, uh, the shapes, the subtle, some of the subtle shapes of the, uh, super Hornet really well. Um, sure. It falls short in a couple areas, but I, but of course the areas where it falls short, I would say, Every Hornet Super Hornet kit I've seen falls short in exactly the same place. So that seems I can't to really be the cr- consensus. Yeah, you know, I, I don't. Uh, I've never, I've never built anything else by Ming, but but Sam Dwyer also just recently finished his. So we've been, you know, comparing notes, and he said it was kind of typical of Ming, where like you, you felt like they got the big stuff pretty, pretty, pretty right. But yep. that there's just a you know like those twenty percent of things where they just sort of fell short, like completely blowing off the the position lights on the on the underside sure. of the wings, just. Yeah. And I think that's typical of uh, that type of thing is typical of, <laughs> as much as I hate to say it, of Chinese model kit makers uh, nowadays. I, I don't know why, uh, but uh, very typical of. Uh, of virtually everything coming from that part of the world nowadays, whether it be Mang, Hobby Boss, Trumpeter. There are things you look at and you think, holy crap, they did such a nice job on that. How the hell could they have missed that mm-hmm. other thing? Um, that's a perfect example. Um, it's like there's two or three more stages right. more to, to finish it. 
and then they go, ah, good enough. Do. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, a good example, you know, they re- they retooled the uh, the f- forward fuselage sides to include the additional um, antenna blister just after the radome uh, on each side of the fuselage, um, which is only present on the growler. But oh, okay. on those same parts, um, on those same those same fuselage parts, they left, they kept the mesh uh, vent. Right. The gun, the gun vent, right, right. The gun vent right in front of the, of the, of the front uh, of the, of the nose gear. Right. right. Which that, that vent is completely fared over on the, on the growler. It's, it's, it's solid. Um, oh, so, wow. That makes so they, sense because there's no gun. Right. right. There's no gun and there's nothing but additional avionics in the nose on the growler. Uh, so, so they, they, they took the time to retool that part to add the antenna blister but they left the, the mesh vents. Uh, well, and that, you know, that's, I, I didn't realize that about the growler kit, but that makes it even sillier that they didn't make that mesh vent as a separate insert. So oh yeah. That Agreed. Put it in, so that, so that you could, that you could put it in after you join the fuselage halves. Right. And not, and not have a fucking seam running right, right. through the middle of all those tiny little holes. Right. That was <laughs> right. In fact, one of the few things I'll tell you that I like better on the Hasegawa kit is the fact that Hasegawa tooled that lower gun, that lower fuselage panel that's essentially the gun access panel that has those vents on it. They tooled that as a separate part on their Super Hornet kit so that there's no no seam. Right. Right. It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not like that's a... In fact, that makes molding of, of all of that easier to do. And you've got, I mentioned your educational background before, you've got an engineering technology degree. You understand plastic injection molding. So yep. I know you totally get what I'm saying about that. It's not, I mean, it was just a, a, a baffling decision. Yeah, don't understand it. Well, what's interesting is the CAD drawings, uh, when they announced the Growler kit, their CAD gr- drawings from, uh, I if my memory is correct, uh, the CAD drawings showed that they had fared over those vents on the CAD for the growler, but then when the parts were tooled, they still had the vents on them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so someone knew, someone in the process knew that they should be fared, fared over, uh, but maybe yeah. perhaps they just said, no, nah, no, nah, we'll just let the modeler do that, you know, when it it's, went from the CAD it, stage to the tooling stage. It's like those position lights. There's no molding reason that they couldn't have included those. Like oh, it no. wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna create an undercut. Are, are you gonna try and scribe those in? You know, I haven't decided yet. What I want to see, because the new Furball uh, decal sheet actually has decals for those lights. Oh, and that's a good idea. Yeah, so I want to see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I've got a, an extra sheet, so I'm, I'm gonna test out. Before I get past the point where it would be good to describe those, I haven't attached those fairings to the bottom of the wings yet. Oh, so I, I did. I I, th- I did it with them already on the wings. Yeah, I know I you did. It, I didn't figure it out. So, but then so I'm I learning from sort you. Of thought, well, maybe that's not so bad because one thing I find that makes stuff like that a little easier is if I can take a little tiny part and attach it to something huge. Because it's just much easier for me to hang on to. I know you put them on, and in the end, that's probably better for you for being able to hold on to it. Yeah, because uh, I, you know, I was thinking about trying to hang on to those little tiny things and, and scribe those triangles on a curved 
compound curved surface. Right. And it, it was it was hard enough as it was, but yeah, I it's you know, it's baffling that they did that, but I'm gratified that you kind of see the same things. I know you said you were gonna check your canopy fit last night. Does yeah, did you find that it was narrow like mine was and some other people's? It is um very slightly narrow. Not yeah. but again, I think you know, we've talked about where I, I had actually squeezed in uh, the, that upper fuselage piece a little bit to, to improve the fit with the lower uh, part of the nose there. So that may have actually caused mine to fit better. Uh, you know, happy accident. But what I have realized is that the in the process is that my the two seat canopy is actually short. <laughs> uh, Great. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So thankfully, I'm building mine with the canopy open, so yeah, no one will know. You're right. You don't have to deal with the bullshit that I'm going through to make my right to, to get mine to fit right closed. But but you, you, like when you say your canopy was slightly narrow, what's slightly in absolute numbers oh. for you? Was it like oh, half boy. a millimeter or, or yeah, I'd or, say half a millimeter tops. And and it's no kidding when I and it's a little hard for me to test it because and I don't know if you see I've I've added a little bit of uh, detail on the. There's not a lot of detail on the canopy sill on a, on a Hornet, uh, but I've added a few little locking lugs. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't actually, and I had forgotten I'd done that until I tried to set the canopy down on it. Yeah, uh, it doesn't allow the canopy. Yeah. I can't truly see, but yeah, I think we're talking half a millimeter probably. Um, and it's, it's, it's in the realm of no kidding. You just putting a little pressure on the canopy. Uh, we'll get it to spread. You know, you don't, it wouldn't yeah. need a spreader. It's just, just put a little pressure on the top of the canopy and it just spreads out just enough to where if you hit that with the cement, it would probably, if you could hold it till say some quick setting TET, it probably would be fine, except for the fact that it's short. So if you slide it up to where the, uh, it meets with the, the windscreen, you got a gap back at the hinge, uh, line. So, and that is probably, I don't know, 10 thousandths gap. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's significant. My, so I ended up with two canopies and the first one was close to a millimeter too narrow. And I know that because I whipped out my calipers and measured it. And the second one was about a half millimeter narrow like yours was. And the reason that I'm sort of focusing on that is because I think that a lot of dudes just don't accept that there is this thing called manufacturing variability. And, 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 you will see things that are sort of common. Like you and I both had issues with the, with the cockpit tub being a little bit tight, but other guys have not. And, and, you know, these things are engineered to go together very precisely. Um, And in some cases more precisely than the tolerances that injection molding will allow. Right. And, and, and how the kit engineers (laughs) handle that makes a huge difference in the buildability. And so on the one hand, you've got Tamiya where they've institutionalized that knowledge over 40 or 50 years and their shit just goes together. Like, like they, they, they understand, right. They just, they, they know, okay, this thing is going to shrink in a certain way. We have to adjust the tolerances thusly, but you know, and then you see like Edward, they're working on it. You know, they're getting there. But yep. not, you know, not quite. And so that's why, you know, and then this Ming kit is a good example where you'll see some guys, their copy of the kit, no problem. Everything goes together just fine. And then other guys, 
I mean, you know, like Sam and I have compared notes. He's had his 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 uh, windscreen is a bit narrow at the back, just like mine was. And and you know, so I I think it's I don't know. I like to highlight this because it annoys the shit out of me when dudes act like well because their copy of the kit was lucky enough that all the dimensions were where they were supposed to be that they're some kind of modeling Jesus. Right. Well, either you're doing it wrong. Right. Mine just fell together. You're the, doing well, it you wrong. Well, you just suck. And it, and yeah. That, yeah, that's <laughs> no. that, that's true. That is true. Well. But that's not the reason why. So, you know, I just <laughs> it, – it's yeah. – I, I love when I – I love when we get guys like you and Paul Budzik and, and Dave, you know, Dave Parker, you brought them up. You guys are all perfect examples of dudes who will inspect and test fit and fuss over the fit for days and days. And you guys find these issues. And yeah. that, you know, that valid that validates me tremendously. So <laughs> I, I, I I that's 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 not the only reason that I wanted to have you on as a guest, but it, it it's you know, it's a it's 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 nice to hear. So Hey, I'm happy to help. No, uh, actually, to, and to add to that, no kidding. I, uh, you know, if I can help validate you, will any any time, man, any time. Uh, no, actually, I need I need uh, validation. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, I've got all three uh, of these kits. In fact, I've got I got four total, but I've got the E, the F, uh-huh. and the G. Um, and I taped together as the, you know, of course, the E was the first one I got, even though really I wanted I wanted an F. But it wasn't out yet. But I got the E and I, I taped together the major fuselage parts. And I was like, holy crap, this thing goes together really nice. Awesome. And uh, But I wasn't ready to work on it yet. So uh, then the uh, the F came out. And I said, well, you know, you know, with part of my job, sometimes I take a kit with me. I can't really build, build, but I can take a kit with me on the road. And, you know, in my hotel room, I can fiddle around. So I took the F with me on a trip and taped together the, the same fuselage parts and the damn thing, it just wouldn't go together. Things were warped and, you know, but I couldn't really see where they were warped. It just somehow, because you know, if you pull one part out and look at it, it looked perfectly straight, but you try to put everything together and it just, it didn't want to go together without a lot of, a lot of coaxing and, and I thought, what the hell? Encouragement. Encouragement. There you go. Encouragement. Persuasion. With some clamp encouragement. <laughs> yeah. Verbal and, encouragement. Uh, yeah, right. So, you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, geez, you know, the, maybe the molds are already wearing out. I don't know what the problem is from the E to the F release. Uh, but I wanted I wanted a growler uh, because I've got a I've got a good friend who's a, uh, a big growler nut. He lives up near Woodby Island and uh, and I want to build one. Uh, he's long story. He's going through cancer treatment right now and he's a modeler and a, and a incredible aviation photographer. But he loves the growler, and I, you know, another another guy who's also friends with him, and I decide we do a little Wait, mini are, group build. To... Are, are you talking about Jay Beckman? <laughs> no, no, uh, his name's okay. Joe Manhart. Oh, okay. I just sorry. Uh, in fact, I, he's 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 an aviation photographer who's going through cancer. So, sorry. oh no, this guy's name is Joe Manhart, and uh, just nicest guy in the world. But either way, this other buddy of mine, Cliff and I, uh, who are, we're all close friends, we all used to uh, ride. Uh, uh, we used to cycle together in Southern California and build models together. And anyway, uh, 
Cliff and I decided we would both build growlers uh, to, to try to motivate Joe just to kind of keep his spirits up. And we would, and we're doing this group build and we're sending, you know, pics every day, texting them to Joe. And so that's why I chose the growler. So when the growler kit came out, um, I thought, oh boy, you know, this, hopefully it's better than the F, you know, as far as fit. I hope this isn't due to mold wear or something like that. And sure enough, the growler parts go together just fine. So it is definitely variability. Um, so, well, so, and, and I know you'll, I know you'll totally get this. Uh, I mean, the, so if, if Ming produces a hundred thousand shots of that kit in the entire lifetime of the kit, it would be a surprise to me. Um, the, 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 the uh, amount of, of use that an injection mold gets in the plastic modeling world is incredibly small compared to what I would call real world injection molding. Right. I, I, you know, I mean, if they're making, you know, for example, if they're, if, if they're building a, 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 a Toyota Camry, they're going to shoot uh, the injection molds for the, for the badge that goes on the steering wheel a million times, literally. Right. And and probably out of materials that are more abrasive on tools than polystyrene is because it's actually pretty easy on tools. So yeah. mold mold wear just from that perspective is not that much of a thing with the kits we produce. But where you see it is in the way the molds go together, like the two halves of the tool, the way that they line up. You know, you start to see things where like the two halves <clears throat> of a landing gear, for example get out of whack and you have a really bad yeah. uh, 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 witness between the two halves or you get flash, you know, and yep. sometimes that's just, that's just bad processing. But what really happens and, and it's especially true, like that piece, that's the upper fuselage of the Hornet kit. That's a big piece of very thin plastic. Yep. And people don't realize how much, shrinkage you can have like i told the story on the last episode of how i decided to correct the width of my canopy by throwing the whole thing in a in a cup of almost boiling water right yep and that softened it enough that i was able to get it you know to widen the front of it perfectly but the entire thing shrunk about i'm gonna say 30 to 40 thousandths of an inch at least 20 thousandths i mean that's a lot <laughs> that's crazy you know, you're, you're yeah. talking about a you're talking about a part that like average injection molding tolerances are plus or minus let's say five thousandths of an inch on average right so your your total spread there is ten thousandths of an inch between what theoretically is the biggest and the smallest examples of that part and by putting my canopy in the in the hot water, I shrunk it more than twice that much. Yeah. So, you know, shit happens. It's nature, it's physics. And, and I think that, that, that I think I like this discussion because I think a lot of model makers just don't really, you know, they don't have the, the background that like you have where you understand the variability in the manufacturing, but they just don't get that. It really is a thing. And, and honestly, it doesn't stop (laughs) you. talking about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean honestly, if you get a copy of a kit that everywhere everything just falls together, you should play the lottery too cuz you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. No, you're right. You know, and I've built well so far 3 Edward Spitfires and yeah. uh all all based on the Mark 9 series. Well, there, there's an eight, two 8s and a 9 essentially what I built. 
And uh, between the two eights, you know, there there is variability between those two kits. You know, one neither fit horribly. They're 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 really nice kits, but um, I didn't have uh, the minor fit issues that I did have weren't the same between the two kits. Mm-hmm. And I and I this is the same guy building the same kit using the same techniques. Beautiful know? example. And you obviously did a great job because you got first and second place in the. In, oh, the four bl- <laughs> in the four-bladed prop split of 148-scale uh, World War II aircraft in San Antonio. I mean, they were both just impeccable. So, yeah. Thank you. It obviously didn't, obviously didn't slow you down. Well, look, I, I could I, we could nerd out on, on, yeah, we on could. Kit, kit details all day, but I know these guys are like, come on. So let's <laughs> let me let me wrap it up with I, I want to go back to your job, your career. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I, I was a, I was a Top Gun kid. I mean, I was determined that I was going to fly jets because of, you know, watching Tom Cruise, and I wanted a cool jacket and a motorcycle. And um, did that have, did that have much of an impact on you? And have you seen it, Top Gun Maverick yet? Well, first, yes, it, it had a tremendous impact on me. I, uh, you know, I, I think I probably would have pursued the same career I did, whether Top Gun had come out or not, but. Uh, it definitely added to the motivation and I, you know, I, and, and I was among, for sure, I was among the crop of, 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 uh, guys who probably hit flight school, um, all at the same time, all motivated by that movie. Um, yeah. So the timing of that movie was, was, was perfect to motivate my generation of naval aviators and, uh. Uh, what's interesting is uh, some of the guys that, who were my contemporaries when I was flying Hornets were guys who were involved in the production of the uh, the uh, the movie. I wouldn't say none of them. There were two of them were guys I knew. I wouldn't say they were friends of mine, but they were guys I knew and who I flew out of the same base at the same time back when we were you know brand new Hornet pilots uh, who actually flew the Hornets in the movie, and and one the other was the. Uh, one of the main uh, consultants. So, uh, but either way, yes, I've seen the new one. It's, uh, it's awesome. You know, as, as a, as a former Naval aviator, uh, you have to take the plot line with a grain of salt. You, you've got to <laughs> let that go. Um, but just like the original, you, you, you got to remember this is Hollywood. It's about entertain. This isn't about accuracy. It's about entertainment. Um, but uh, the flying scenes are just absolutely incredible. It took me back in, in a lot of ways. Um, uh, the one that the, the what's what's funny though is the one that really got me the most was his catapult shot as they launched on their no no spoilers here but as they launched on their mission uh, his 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 catapult shot off the ship for whatever reason that that scene that sequence was the one that gripped me the most and really took me back to uh, to back in the day um, so enjoyed it. Immensely. I haven't seen it in IMAX yet, though. I need to go see it in IMAX before while it's still in the theaters. Yeah, I haven't seen it at all yet, so I'm 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 eagerly <laughs> awaiting it. But so I'm I'm curious. You you did a you did a full did you do a full twenty years in the Navy? Yeah, I did. So uh, my career, I had an unusual career as far as the naval aviator goes. So uh, yeah, I did a full twenty years. I only did one tour flying F eighteen. So I. Uh, went in, I went through flight school, got my wings, uh, and went out uh, and flew F-18s out of Lemoore, California. We deployed on the USS Carl Vinson. Um, 
VFA 97 was my squadron. And I, uh, so I did that tour and then I, uh, I went from there to what we call a sea tour in the Navy, which is, you know, we have what we call, uh, or I'm sorry, we, that was my sea tour. We can have sea tours and shore tours. Essentially what that means is a sea tour is you're deployable, uh, operationally deployable. A sea tour means you're in a job where you're not deployable. So for me, uh, my first sea tour was flying Hornets. Then my first shore tour was uh, as a flight instructor in the T-45 Goshawk. Um, and then uh, while I was flying T-45s as an instructor, I actually had a back injury. So uh, I had to uh, get out of uh, ejection seat airplanes for a while. So I transitioned uh, to the uh, E-6 uh, Mercury, which is a uh, Boeing 707 airframe. Uh, and I did that for, uh, four years and then I got healed up and then I went back. It was, so I couldn't go back to the Hornet after that. So, uh, I went to back to just instructing in the T-45 for, uh, pretty much the remainder of my career. I spent almost 10 of my 20 years in the Navy as an instructor in the T-45. That's very cool. So you've flown aircraft of, uh, cause you've flown aircraft of, of, of a wide range of types and sizes because now... Yeah. You you have kind of like the the dream job. You fly a rich guy around the country, right? And it, don't you? Isn't he a uh, isn't it a king air? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I I have a really really cool job. It's uh, I don't fly the sexiest airplane in the world, but I fly one of the probably most uh, I guess the workhorse. We could call it a workhorse. It's a uh, you know one of the the most reliable and. Uh, I don't know how what what you call a king air. It's not it's not sexy, but it's an awesome airplane. It's a wonderful well, it's, airplane. It's, so yeah, it's but been I, around forever, most, forever. If anybody anybody doesn't know what a king air is, it's it's a Beechcraft twin turbine, twin, twin, right, twin turboprop, so, right? So, but uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it's the job. It's the 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 person I work for. Uh, I've worked for him for ten years now. Um, yeah, fly him around the country. I'm essentially his personal pilot, and. Uh, it's uh, the quality of life working for uh, for this guy is uh, is is amazing, um, and I'm sure I could I could go to the airlines or all you know a lot of other things, but uh, uh, the way this has worked out, uh, the time this gives me with my family, and I still get to fly airplanes, and uh, you know it gives me a, a wonderful uh, amount of time with my family uh, that I wouldn't get in some other aviation careers, so. Uh, it's ended up being the uh, the dream post military retirement uh, job, honestly. It's it's really cool to think about the fact that you've flown everything from, you know, small civilian planes clear up to something the size of a passenger jet. Uh, I mean, that's there's probably not a lot of pilots that that can say that. Did you did you fly the Legacy Hornet or the I did. Bug? So I flew uh, the uh, I've flown the A through the D as pilot as a pilot. Um, but uh, my my squadron that I was uh, my operational squadron I was in we flew A's, so we at the time we had the, uh, the we were the uh, last uh, operational F eighteen A squadron left in the Navy, and this was before the Navy had A pluses because A pluses um, not from a modeling standpoint from but but from an operational standpoint are essentially C's. Um, you essentially take an A and turn it into a C as far as capability and uh, avionics. But uh, we were the last squadron flying actual legacy A's in the squad in the uh, in the active navy. But uh, but I flew the A through the D um, during that time. We you could at that time, well even now, 
uh, well, they don't have them all now, but uh, uh, at the time, you could you could interchangeably fly any of them. A pilot could fly an A, could fly a D, could fly whatever. But uh, and then I have flown in the Super Hornet, but not as not. I never trained up or uh, got qualified in the Super Hornet. Although it's really an F eighteen, a Legacy Hornet pilot could essentially climb into a Super Hornet and uh, and know what you. It all operates so similarly, um, which is the the beautiful thing about the Super Hornet. It took very little training to take a Legacy Hornet pilot and turn him into a Super Hornet pilot. The airplane is different, but from a pilot standpoint and how you operate it, it is is I wouldn't say it's exactly the same, but it's so close to the same that uh, it takes very little additional training to transition from one to the other. So. One question I've been dying to ask you, and this is probably dumb. You probably get this question all the time. What what was it like for you as a young naval aviator to land on a carrier for the first time? <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to think how what what adjectives I would give it. It was scary. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but it, it was scary. <laughs> you, you, you honestly. Uh, are scared to death when you're doing it. Uh, but you're so well-trained. What you don't realize is how well-trained you are uh, before they let you go out there and do it. Because you're solo. You are you don't have an instructor in the airplane with you the first time you land on the carrier. Um, you have a landing signal officer who's out there who is an instructor and is the instructor who, uh, who graded your landings at the field as you prepared to go to the ship. Um, and he knows your tendencies and your quirks and your, your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows you better than you, you know, yourself in some ways. So, uh, and, and that guy, you know, he's the guy that decides whether you're ready to go. Um, you know, and they wouldn't let you go if you're not ready. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the thing is you question whether you're ready for it right up to the point that you touch down on that very first landing not realizing that there are a whole bunch of people who've been looking really close at you all the way who've, they wouldn't have let you go if you weren't. Um, but occasionally, you know, so occasionally somebody will squeak through that's that, you know, or perhaps just the stress of really doing it uh, was not, uh, you know, put them over the edge to where they just couldn't handle that. And, and usually that doesn't end up in tragedy or anything like that, but their, their performance shows and they may or may not get a second chance, but Either way, yeah, uh, scared to death. I'll tell you what, I remember that <laughs> that first one. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I've done a lot, you know, in between the first and the last that I'll, I won't remember, but I remember the first one, and I remember the last one. Um, I wasn't nearly as scared the last one as I was on the first one. This may this may <laughs> be silly, but but I kind of, I imagine, you know, just to put it in my own perspective, that it's kind of like, the first time as a motocross rider that you huck a big, you know, you huck a giant jump, you know, because sure. you don't know, there's no guarantee. You just hope that all of your practice and all of your training and, you know, that your instincts are going to, are going to result in you doing the right thing and you land safely. Um, right. But, you know, obviously, you know, with a, with a, a, a hundred million dollar jet on your hands, the consequences are significantly different. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. You get hurt either way. So, yeah. So how many? So how many times did you do the sea cruise thing? Like, because you mentioned that you had done some combat flying, right? You you flew over Iraq, yeah. off of the carrier, and how many times did you get? Did you end up? Yeah, doing that? just one. 
one one deployment. Uh, the, the way my timing worked out, I only did one deployment uh, where we flew over Iraq, um, and that was mostly uh, enforcing Operation Southern Watch. So uh, the majority of that, honestly, was quite dull. Um, our ship, we got there. I don't know if you guys remember Operation Desert Fox, but uh, it was one of the times that we um, that we slapped Saddam's hand for violating various things. Um, so uh, our ship arrived in theater just in time to participate in uh, in uh, Operation Desert Fox. So there was a little bit of bomb dropping uh, while I was there. And then the majority of time on that uh, on that uh, deployment, we were just patrolling the the no fly zone. Um, got uh, so it was it, honestly, it wasn't very exciting flying over desolate southern Iraq, uh, um, looking at you know cratered airfields and things like that. Uh, just a few times, it got a little bit exciting. They I got lit up by a, a, a SAM uh, battery a couple times. Um, well, that's got to get your they, attention. Oh, yeah. Uh, thankfully, they never shot at me. Um, they, at least they didn't shoot any missiles at me. I, I did see some AAA, but it wasn't anywhere close. Um, enough to make you nervous, but uh, the SAM, you know, getting picking up the SAM on your uh, your raw gear uh, and knowing that they're, they've got an SA-6 targeted, you know, at least locked onto you and ready, uh, uh, it's not a good feeling. Um. <laughs> so so rea- so so realistically, you know, before I go watch uh, Top Gun, if you get lit up by a Sam, what are your chances? I mean, is it is it just like okay, I'm going to end up bailing out of this thing, or is there really no. a way to get away from those things? Yeah, there are ways to get away from it, and it, and it all depends on where you are in relation to it, and things. You know, it, it, yeah, it depends on how close, how far, you know, uh, which way are you pointing compared to where that it is and uh, how much energy you have on the airplane and, you know, and then how well your countermeasures work. Um, you know, no, you're not instantly toast, um, but uh, it can, you know, it can reach out and touch you. So uh, you, you have to respect it. And, <laughs> you're, and you're not you're not you're not hanging around to see what's up. Right. No, you're not, um, you know. Obviously, you, uh, you you do your best to extricate yourself from the situation before it becomes critical. Right uh, you know, yeah, you know. There, so there are ways to to defeat and counter and countermeasures to be used, but uh, no matter what, it's not a good situation to be in. And that's the that's those little square uh, arrays of of holes that are on the bottom of the intakes on the Hornet, right? Isn't, aren't those the chaff dispensers? Yeah, yeah that would be the uh, chaff and flare dispensers. And, yep. and I've noticed in some in some of my reference photos that sometimes they're blue, sometimes they're white, sometimes there's nothing in there at all. What's the right. difference? Yeah, the difference is you know I can't remember my color codes. I could go look them up, but uh, it uh, the different colors tell you that they're different things. So uh, and you will load uh, they'll load both chaff and flares in different combinations and different patterns into those dispensers depending on. And exactly what chaff or what flares depends on what uh, what systems you're uh, you're uh, you know expecting to have to uh, defeat. So okay, and, uh, I had no idea. Yeah, so the different was, colors are were, different things. 
Very cool. Okay. I had no idea that there were different ones for different situations. All right. Well, um, I know I could, I, <laughs> speaking of dropping bombs, Tracy had to bolt because his dog came in the room and looked like it was about ready to drop some bombs. So <laughs> Tracy's, Tracy's out for a minute, but I, I and I know we got to wrap this up. I, uh, but I got to ask you one last thing about, about flying yeah. hornets. Um, did you see any of the Tic Tacs? No, I am not. I'm not. I'm <laughs> no, not. so you cannot. You cannot corroborate the UFO sightings. I'm, I'm, I can't. I'm, but uh, but I do. One of the one of the guys who has uh, who was one of the guys who saw those was one of my instructors when I was in the Hornet. Really? Ride. No shit. And, so. uh, and I yeah I, I I completely believe them. Uh, yeah 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 completely believe them. I don't know what they are. I've never seen them. But uh, yeah. It's, yeah, I believe it's a the story. Fasc- it's yeah, I mean it's a fascinating thing because to me, you know, you've got I mean, this is like the first real sort of thing and you know, I mean if one F18 pilot saw something, you might go, okay, well, you know, maybe that's a weird it's a one off or it's the angle of the lens on the FLIR camera or whatever it is. Right. But when you've got multiple guys and multiple right. systems, ship radar corroborating what the camera says, kind of have to go okay something's up yeah it could be you know that that in and of itself could be just an interesting topic of discussion not from the perspective of i know anything about it but just to just bounce ideas off each other you know i don't know i don't know what it is i and i don't know whether it's it you know is it extraterrestrial is it earthborn i i don't know you know is it our stuff Right, you'd almost rather it actually. You'd almost rather it actually be extraterrestrial because if it's Earth based, somebody's doing something that yeah we don't understand, and you know, and that's got some potential implications for sure. Yeah. If so, they are, hopefully they're hopefully they're on our side. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I don't know that Tracy's going to make it back from the dog emergency, but. I feel like you know we've been going at this for quite a while. I could I could bend your ear for for a long time. You've got so much interesting stuff in your background to talk about, in addition to yeah. your fantastic craftsmanship. So we'll just have to. Oh, keep there you. he is. We'll, we'll, yeah, there he is. Tracy, Sorry, gents. Tra- the uh, the dog decided he needed to go out right then. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. It looked no like worries. he was about to drop drop some bombs on that beautiful rug you've got in your podcasting. So yeah, it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well no, no we, kidding. It's uh, I've enjoyed, uh, you know, and I, I do feel like we barely scratched the surface on a lot of things we could, uh, we could talk about. There's just never enough time, but, uh, perhaps we can do it again. Yeah. We come yeah. to this, we, we come to this conclusion with every guest. Yeah, pretty much. We, we, we give ourselves two hours, two and a half hours and it, it could go on for four, honestly. You know, it's, yep. at a certain point, it's time to crack a beer and, and keep going. If you're interested enough to talk to for two hours, then we could talk to you for yeah. three sure. hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it's got that. That's really, yeah. No, okay. Well, and, and that's part of it. You know, this, you, you get into this little, uh, this forum like this and you wish you could all just sit down over a beer uh, or several beers or a dozen beers, you well, know, at a pub or something somewhere and just, just, just shoot the shit. Geek out. You know, it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, it would. <laughs> Absolutely. This is the beauty of the long form podcast. And we are grateful to our listeners for putting up with us for that for the whole time. 
but it's guys like you that you know are willing to come on the show and put up with us for for long enough that really make that happen so you know we really appreciate you being on you know appreciate you sharing your experiences and we will definitely try and make it happen again absolutely yeah it'd be fun maybe once uh once i get this growler done we can compare more notes I'm sure Chris and Tracy would love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mean guys? You guys aren't chomping at we the bits of questions next time. Yeah, no, I, I'm just anything. We can talk about anything. Uh, the uh, well, the, uh, the model Chris, that I sidelined Chris, to build the growler. Chris said he wants to build one now that he's seen Top Gun Maverick. So, I oh, I want to build everything. That's, that's the true. Look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, yeah. So many kits, yep. so little time. I would have built a Skyhawk as well. I, I, I'll have to ask you next time about which ones are the best for which. Um, yeah, versions. yeah, absolutely. And feel you know, feel free to reach out anytime. Absolutely, anytime uh, via any means. Um, and uh, I've actually got a pretty uh, detailed. Uh, I hate to call it list of hacks, but you know, gouge for is what we call it in the you know in aviation. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've got a list. That's- that's the other question I was going to ask you. I'm used why to it for the model guys piece. call it? Why do you guys call it gouge? What exactly does that translate to? I, I I don't know. It's been called gouge since before my time, and it'll be called gouge probably for eternity in naval aviation. So that's just a naval aviation thing, huh? Yeah, you know, and I don't know if the Air Force calls it gouge, but naval aviators call it gouge. They have for decade. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's over a century now. Maybe they called it gouge back in 1911 when the first guy, you know, landed on a, on a ship. Uh, well, but you, uh, you, every force has got its own words. Yeah. It? Yeah. But uh, no one knows where it comes no, from. Right. It just, it's just, it just is. Uh, but either way, I do have a, a pretty decent list of gouge on uh, building the Hasegawa Skyhawk. So if you decide to build one, uh, I can definitely uh, make the build experience less painful for you. Well, we appreciate all the great gouge that you've given us during the last two hours. And uh, like I said, we'll have to have you back and we'll look forward to next time. Yeah, good times. It was, yeah. uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your time, Gabe. And don't forget, the Sprue Cutters Union is just one of a number of superb scale modelling podcasts. There are too many to list, but go to modelpodcasts.com to find a full list of all these great shows. Friends, we'd like to take just a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Our Patreon supporters help us pay for hosting, distributing, and recording this show, and we really do appreciate their support. If you'd like to support the show... And become a Patreon member, you can click on the Patreon link in the show notes, or you can go to patreon.com and search for the Sprue Cutters Union. That was a good interview. Hopefully you guys out there in listener land all agree. That was good stuff. Lots of like fundamental things, but also lots of fun things. I don't even know what more to say about it other than, yeah, good interview. And we hope that uh, maybe we can get Gabe back on at some other time and uh, cover all the things that we didn't talk about. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, something we didn't talk to him about was masters. And I really would like to talk to him about yeah. mastering things. Yeah, and, you know, and, yeah. And that totally, totally forgot. Him. Yeah, didn't get to that. He He's built a lot of masters for some well-known aftermarket resin companies. 
he's that kind of craftsman. And we didn't even go there. Didn't even get into it. No, but what we did get into was quality. I mean, I I really enjoyed talking to somebody whose primary elite, whose primary focus was was like a just a tight model, just really tightly. Yeah. You know, it was really. Um, I, one of the things that I took away from it that I really liked was him saying, you know, when, you know, dry fit your parts, sand, dry fit. And he's like, I'll, I'll sand and dry fit a part like, you know, 20 or 30 times before I commit to glue just to make sure that it's as good as it can, the fit is as good as it can get. And that's, that's one of those things. I think that and his, the tightness of his paint, it just, if I took anything away from that, and I certainly took a lot more than, than just this, but the the primary takeaway from me from talking to somebody like that is is just slow down. Just slow down. Mm-hmm. Bef- yeah. Before you slap the glue on, before you pull the trigger on the airbrush, like, just, uh, you know, help yourself out and avoid some problems by just slowing down and just check it one more time. Is your paint properly mixed? Is your... Is your, you know, throw it on your mule, see how it's spraying, see if it's a color you like, X, Y, Z, like all the things we talk about and all the things we don't do. Gabe's one of those guys who does it 20 times before he commits and that it makes a difference in how your model comes out. I mean, just look at his models. They're so tight. They're so tight. So my, my takeaway from that is like, okay, Tracy, slow down before you grab the Tamiya extra thin, just like. Test fit it one more time. If it's not quite right, then just try to make it a little bit better, and then test fit it again, and again and again. Like I, I think, you know, too many of us are just like boop, 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 just kind of slapping parts together and and coming out with really, really on the whole acceptable models. But then you look at Gabe's models and you're like, okay, that's. That build and that paint is better than what I'm doing. And he just sat here and explained why. Ex- execution is king. And, and you can see it right there. And I've seen his work in person. And it is. It's, it, it really is. Like you say, I mean, it, pictures don't do, how, do justice to just how tight it is. I feel like you could easily put him on a panel with Paul and David, like that call we had, and he would fit right in. Oh, yeah. Because oh, they're yeah, all 100%. a master craftsman, and I, I've been thinking a lot about the phrase, phrase "craftsman." And in art circles, it carries a bit of a negative connotation because it's it's like a workman, like oh yeah, they're proficient, but they're not, they don't have the flair, sort of thing. I don't mean it like that. I mean that it's someone who knows really well what they're doing. Their skills are incredibly practiced. They make a plan. They execute it to the absolute sort of peak of what you can do. And they do it really well. And there's, you know, it's an underestimate. Where people go, oh, your basic modeling skills. This is kind of what they're talking about, I guess, is to just do it absolutely, do everything, every small thing perfectly. But also with this, because he has quite um, unshowy paint finishes, it kind of hides the sheer amount of work that goes into making it look that simple, if you see what I mean. And I think it does take a bit of experience and skill to be able to spot what he's doing on his finished models. You need to be someone who appreciates yeah. how hard it is to do some of that stuff. But that's, I mean, to me, that's kind of proof of how, of, of just how good all of his fundamental craftsmanship is because he, he, because, you know, his finishes are relatively, 
I mean, they're not they're not complex, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But it's mm. like what you were saying. There's not a lot of because he's illustrating an exhaust stain rather than trying to replicate an exact exhaust stain, and 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 there's no place to hide in the way that he does it, right? Like if there's a mistake there, it's going to stick out like a neon sign, and you have to recognize that and just really respect the level of of fundamental craftsmanship that it takes to pull that off. It's funny you say it's illustrative because what they remind me of is really top level, beautiful profile drawings. Mm-hmm. That it's Abs- yeah, it's know, like it's a technical, co- it, yeah, mechanical, it's, it, and it's perfect. Yeah. Which it's like a color plate in three D. Yeah, anyone that's tried to draw one knows it's really hard to get it to look good, and it's the same with the model. Exactly yeah. the same with the model. All right, well, we should roll on. Uh, who's uh, what's happening uh, with our next episode, guys? Well, actually, the next thing. Tracy and I are off to World Model Expo. <laughs> We're going to meet up at World Model Expo. Yep, and yes, we are going to, me. we have arranged already a bunch of really great interviews with people, uh, including people such as Penny Mayer, Calvin Tan, and uh, Taysung Harms, and a bunch of other really cool guys that are going. Uh, some of them have been pre-booked, some of them haven't. Been a little bit, ooh. Now, Follow the Sprue Cutters Union Facebook page over the weekend of the, I think it's the 1st, 2nd and 3rd of July. It is. Because we'll be popping on now and then as we bump into people doing, uh, just going live and talking to someone live on the Facebook page. So I'm just going to be filling that page that. with obnoxious selfies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's there me and Chris at the bar with, with 1,100 other people. <laughs> we're we're going to really make you wish you were there. Uh, we will also be hopefully hooking up with Will and doing some interviews after the show closes for the day, which is at about 5 or 6 p.m. Central European time, whatever the fuck that is with you guys that live in the past in America. And uh, <laughs> I believe it will be sort of, Rude. generally speaking, between sort of uh, mid-morning and late morning sort of time. Uh, and we'll be recording some interviews for the show, but we'll be doing some stuff live as well. So there'll be loads going on that weekend at what I fully expect to be the world's best model show. I am so jealous. That's uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, are you sure? You're sure you're jealous of wanting you. to go anywhere with me? <laughs> <laughs> There'll be lots of that. Dude, I, think would, <laughs> I think I think it would be so much fun. I wish I could talk you into coming to this Omaha silliness, but you know, I know you're nope. not. Maybe next year. Maybe next year in Texas. Maybe. All right. Tracy's like, mm, no. Nope. I just wanted to pretend like I was frozen. <laughs> that's our new way of avoiding the questions all right all right all right gangs bad connection <laughs> all right sprue cutters another fun episode we hope you guys loved it and uh that you will be back for the next one stay tuned uh catch up with all the old ones if you haven't whatever it's all good we're out of here. I hope that you've lasted this long, that you've tolerated it, and that you forgive us and come back and try us out again. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> this show will drop on Friday the 23rd. Don't forget, one week after that, we'll be doing live stuff. So don't go onto the Spree Cutters Union Facebook page, and you'll find us there. And with that, adios, bitches. Adieu. <laughs> we should probably stop saying bitches with this sexism thing. <laughs> Stop. Killing me right I'll now. I'll cut that off. No, you, no, leave that in. That was funny. You dirty in. rotter. You <laughs> dirty fucking rotter. <laughs>
And here we are, back from the 1920s. Everybody talks real fast, everybody walks real fast. And with that, we should wrap up this episode. Chris is like, bye. We talk about. Bye. Chris is like, Chris is like, I'm out. That's it. I've had it. I've had it.